And we're back. Um, yeah, so I go through the same process to start the show every week. And uh, the stream didn't kick on on Twitch. Because this time, when I went to include Twitch, and did the same thing I've been doing everything for the last several years now, the, uh, the little toggle switch was off. Why was the toggle switch off on Twitch? Twitch, I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea, and I don't care. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we'll just go right to questions. Joe Roth, uh, Bill, what's your honest feeling and prediction about the 2024 election? Do you think Trump wins again, or do you think it will be repeated the 2020 shenanigans, or do you think the Republicans will play the Democrats' own game and ballot harvest, and we wind up winning that way? The 2022 midterms were alarming because voter turnout was really low on our side, but we still outvoted the Democrats nationally by over 3 million votes. Also, do you think Trump will reignite our side to go out and vote this time in 2024? Disgruntled Trump voters didn't show up in 2022 because they felt there was really no point. I think we have way too many rhinos and establishment Republicans working against us hand in hand with the entire media, Fox now included. And I kind of feel like we don't have a prayer anymore. Way too many dimensions to overcome for us to win. I think we will lose the cheating and manipulation, of course, through cheating and manipulation, of course. I think Republicans will be in the minority for the next generation or two. I think the tide against us is too strong to overcome. What's your honest prediction as of right now for 2024? We win, we lose, or we win, but they cheat again. I know your opinion can change depending on upcoming events, but right here, right now, what say you? Um, there is a margin beyond which um, they can uh, cannot cheat. I don't know what that margin is, but it's, it is, they can, they can, when you consider how close most national elections are, they come down to, you know, 52, 48 kind of thing. And I know they've been uh, cheating and, uh, and I don't think there's any question about that, but then um, that's the way it is. And if we had turned out in 2022, then we could have we could have produced a margin of victory greater than the margin of um, fraud, but we didn't do that. So um, this is the story of my life since I've been doing this since two thousand and eight. I watched it happen um, in two thousand and eight with McCain, and I watched it in two thousand twelve with Romney, and then I watched it in two thousand and sixteen was a, an off year. I saw it again in two thousand and twenty. People 
decide that they just don't want to get out and vote, and then they cry about the country being lost. Um, and I don't really uh, understand that. Uh, and people say, well, there's it's no way to win now, so I'm not even going to vote. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and uh, and so, you know, what do you, what do you say? Um, it's the... Uh, This, I've said this just so many times, but it just needs to be said. Um, these people never sleep. This is, this is what they do all the time. And they are serious about it. And we're not serious about it. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched people just say, well, I ended up not voting because I disagreed with them on this one issue. Well, what about the other 30 issues? Well, I agreed with them on those, but I disagree with them on this one. So now we get a guy uh, who you disagree with on all 30 issues, and um, and now we're going to say that, uh, well, the country's gone. There's nothing we can do about it. We can, you know. Yeah, the electoral system is, 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 is screwed up, but it's not so screwed up that it's not possible to win. I don't know how many states are are tainted by all of this, but we still vote by state. They haven't been able to eliminate that just yet. So let's say you give them, you know, the states where the, where the, let's say you give them the five states where the cheating was so uh, evident in 2020. You can still win the presidency. Um, I guess it's going to take, I don't know, I thought it by 2022, I thought Californians would have had enough of this, but no, nope, apparently not. Uh, when I say Californians, by the way, I mean those people that live in uh, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, and to some degree San Diego. Um, the uh, I guess it just didn't doesn't hurt enough yet. So um, all of this... So long, Republic thing is self-defeating stuff, and and uh, and I don't, I don't believe it's true that that the, the the country's irretrievably lost. I just don't believe it. I do believe that we have some serious. Thank you very much for that epic guess, uh, super chat. I think we have very serious, very serious problems, and and if it weren't for God and reality being on our side, I'd say probably time to go home. Um, but they are on our side, and those are, you know, those are powerful allies. Truth, as well. So, as far as what I think about 2020, 2024, my most hopeful um, indicator on this, in terms, I'm not even talking so much about a Republican. Victory is a so much as a democratic defeat. The pushback against the woke agenda seems to be real, and it seems to be widespread. Uh, the Bud Light thing, the Target thing, Target lost $12 billion in three days. Um, and that's telling me that, that conservative voters may have finally, finally, finally reached the point where they've had enough and they're going to get out and vote for people even... People they have, you know, problems for on certain issues. 
Uh, and if they don't, then things will continue to deteriorate until until people get hard to the point where they start voting these clowns out of office. Um, the the if the country was not so unbelievably well constructed, then um, then we would have been lost a long time ago. But when I look at what's going on out there, what I see is a constant and significant erosion around the outside edges of the and and water damage and all the rest of it but the foundation is so is so unbelievably well constructed that we've been able to take this kind of damage that we've been taking for what 50 years now and we're still we're still here you know we're still here and and so people are saying, oh, well, a revolution. I had actually had this thought yesterday um, when I was thinking about my uh, right, uh, maybe it was Tuesday. I was thinking about the right angles that I did this week. And I just talking this week about my shows, how uh, revolutions always eat their own. That, you know, everybody who, all of these wokesters that are trying to cancel other people eventually all get canceled in the end. Eventually, every one of them will make. Uh, a mistake that will have them become unpersoned and then they will they'll be put up against at least right now the metaphorical wall and they'll have their selves canceled and they'll be completely shocked like the I, as i mentioned on the right angle show i heard mark dice talking about this for the um, head of dei at uber she called a meeting uh for the um and i'll get to this this does in, in fact impact your question there for the 2024 election uh, she called a meeting saying, "Hey, we, from now on, we can't. I don't want anybody using the word Karen in the workplace because it's a, a pejorative against white women." This is the DEI senior vice president, um, who uh, well, who um, who basically said, "You know, let's not be calling me a name and other white radical feminist names." And uh, all of the minority grievance groups that, that they have created through their um, through their diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion programs uh, lashed out at her, and she was either fired or suspended. Now, that's got nothing to do with with the vote, but the target ban and the and the Bud Light ban are real and. And I don't know how much I don't know how motivating that is going to be. The, the The elections go to the side that shows up, and and just to give you an example, if you think that the, well, the, if you think the electoral system is is irre, irretrievably corrupt, that there's no chance to win a national election again. Um, Sorry, I'm just checking something. Come on. There it is. Hang on a second. Okay. So, um, when I'm talking about the fact that it, we're still voting by state and, and it's still possible to win national elections, I have a high level of confidence that the voting uh, results in the state of Florida will be accurate and fair and timely. Uh, 
And so those 29 electoral votes are going to count. I have confidence that the, whatever California has, 52, 54, it'll be 13 in another decade. Um, but I have complete confidence that those things will not be uh, reliably reported, although to be fair, even if they were, I think uh, California's going to vote Democratic, no matter who's in or not, even not, not even in the office. These are people vote for a blank chair. Um, and then you have the, the swing states. And the way you undo the damage is the, you just reverse the process of the way the damage was done. There was a, a concerted push to go after the secretaries of state and the attorney attorneys general of the states. You can have said this so many times. It just is something really essential to understand. It doesn't matter how much evidence you have if the prosecution is so partisan that it decides not to press charges. It doesn't matter how much evidence is on Hunter Biden's laptop if the attorney general refuses to, to prosecute the case. So you have to go back and undo. Ideally, you have to either walk the I – don't, I don't know if I can really tell you whether you need to walk the process backward or whether you need to start where they started. But the big fights are, are, are things like attorney general and, um, and department of state for your state – those are the people that control the voting for that particular state. I heard parent that just tangentially somewhere that some state had decided that they were going to um, that passed a law or a resolution anyway that uh, there was not going to be any more electronic voting or something like that in there. You know, Faith Walker points out um, that uh, that um, that Soros didn't go just. Just like things like just been like this acid, this corrosion. Termites is a better example. They've just been down there chewing away at the foundations, and we're just sitting here, huh, you know, just just skipping around and having a great time, and going out to the gun range, and you know, and 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 complaining about um, shaking our fists at clouds. And they just keep on working. Now, turns out the house is overbuilt. That's good. So the word I the word I'm going with now from 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 this point forward at least for the foreseeable future uh, is restoration to me. That's the that's the word I'm looking for for the for where the where my mindset is and where I think probably the countries should be. Restoration. This needs to be said again and again and again. Um, you can take a car that is essentially a rusted out hulk, been in a barn for eighty years. And with a lot of tender, loving care and some time, you can return that car to the condition it looked like it was made yesterday or this morning. And not only that, you can add safety features that weren't in it originally. Put a nice radio in it if you so desire. And so whenever I see restoration of airplanes or cars, especially when they're just essentially just corroded skeletons, this gives me hope. I think the same thing is true for politics. I think the same thing works for for um, the country. I really do. Uh, I think it's just a question of we need to get serious about it, and and not only get serious about it. The reason that these um, the reason that these uh, restorations work is because people believe in the project and they and they donate their time and money and effort in order to achieve a goal and no one's even 
No one's even voiced the goal. And at this point, before it gets too much later, I'm going to stop for a moment and 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 uh, offer my extraordinary thanks for Faith Walker with a hundred dollar super chat. Bill, you're a true beacon of inspiration and joy in a world that can sometimes feel dark and backwards. May God bless you abundantly for the light you bring. Faith, thank you very very much. That was exceedingly kind. And then Rob Ras for another hundred dollar super chat said, "Ditto, uh, Faith Walker," and uh, that kind of thing is is just blows my mind thank you thank you very much so look we can it doesn't matter how badly look when you restore an airplane that's been like glacier girl i've shown pictures of this before i'm gonna find one just for the heck of it so glacier girl was a p-38 that was ditched uh, either during the war or shortly after i guess and it was ditched in the um in the north and uh and it got covered up by uh, ice for 57, uh, 70 years, something. And you really do need to see the pictures, because if you don't get the pictures, then none of this makes sense. So give me a moment. All right. Oops. Wow. Wow. So here are a couple pictures showing you the state of, uh, of the P-38 that was ditched um in uh and, and covered up by ice for 70 years i've got four of them here so this is what glacier girl looked like when the people that love airplanes found it people who really love airplanes and understand that they're not making any new uh p-38s this is what they found when they went looking Oh, for God's sake, please. There we go. You can barely tell what that is. That's the nose of a P-38. You can see the cannons there. You have twin engines on either side. But that's not a, you know, it's that's just a, I don't even know what you call that. Here's another one. Presumably. No, of course not. Um, hang on. It's worth it. It's worth seeing these things. So just give me a second here. Try this again. Um, boy, come on! I just, I, 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 I don't know why. I, there's just no explaining. There's no explaining this. Okay. In any event, um, it is just plain skeletal remains that you can barely recognize as a as a p38 you at least got to saw at least got to see that one picture there so that's what the condition that glacier girl was in i'll bring that up again one more time although i don't know if this one will scale you tell me what happened between this time and last time i can't answer that question all i know is this is what yeah okay so i was able to scale it before now i can't scale it what did I do between now and then? Nothing. I did nothing. Um, but here's what it looks like today. Uh, and this is the point, actually. Wow. So 
this is the same thing that they pulled out of the ice. I want to be clear about this. This is what was recovered from the um, from the ice after a significant amount, a really enormous amount of um, dedication and love and care and craftsmanship and hard work and money and all the rest of it. Sure would be nice. Ah, no, of course not. There's no way we could possibly scale that. That's just asking too much. Um, yeah, okay. Sure, why not? Um, anyway, uh, it'd be nice if it was big enough for you to see. I'd love for that to be a, a thing. Um, how about this? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay here and I'm just gonna keep working until I get this damn image into the computer the way I want to okay you don't want to do it that way that's fine I did it a second ago that way but we're not gonna argue we're just gonna do this Well, that one's bigger. It won't scale, but that, that's what it looks like today. And that airplane is the same exact airplane that was underneath the ice. And um, and that's what it looks like today. That aircraft looks like it was made in the factory, which I think was probably Burbank, California. Uh, looks like it rolled out this morning. Looks like this is the first test of the thing with its new paint. And I keep coming back to this because this gives me um, comfort, actually. Uh, one of the few things that does give me comfort. Um, that aircraft is Glacier Girl. And at the same time, at the same time, it's not Glacier Girl. And this is an important thing to understand. Really get down to it. What is, what is Glacier Girl as a specific example? What is that thing? Okay, because the picture of the one that's flying, is that Glacier Girl? Well, I don't know. I don't know if any of the components that they dragged out of the ice was in that. I just know that they started with the thing that was in the ice, and then bit by bit, they built it up and, and essentially made a new airplane off of the existing frame so you had a, a section that was damaged you replace it with a new section then you go to another section that was damaged you replace that with the new section so is it glacier girl or isn't it yes it is but it's also not it's most of what you just saw in that picture virtually all in fact i'd be willing to bet you all of it clearly of that of that aluminum skin none of that aluminum skin was under the ice right that was that was added later in precise in precise imitation of what the actual skin would have shown you. So where I'm going with all this is, is just to say this. Glacier Girl is a 
a, a, a blueprint. It's a design. It's not, it's not, you cannot actually pin it down and say, is it Glacier Girl? Is it not Glacier Girl? It's, it, it's both and it's neither. But the point I'm trying to make here is the design is intact. And when they pulled, when they pulled the P-38 out of the ice, they didn't have to re-engine, they didn't have to try to reconstruct what this thing was. They knew what it was and they had blueprints too. They knew what the thing is supposed to look like. And then in some weird combination of it being both Glacier Girl and not Glacier Girl, they rebuilt the airplane. There you go, Tim Morris, USA for the win. He's got it exactly. Perfect. Couldn't have, couldn't have said it better myself. Glacier Girl is an idea. It's an idea. It's a, it's a concept. It's a, it's an, it's a, 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 a vision, right? And, and so what really matters is, is that there was a, a P-38 that went down, wasn't named Glacier Girl before it went in, obviously. A P-38 went down, ditched, was buried under ice for 70 years, and now it's flying again, and it looks brand new. That's Glacier Girl. And during the entire restoration process, there was no moment when it became something else. It all happened so incrementally that it, the idea, as, as, um, as Tim said, that it, the idea remained constant. Now, all of that to say this, we've got the design and we've got the, it, I don't want to go quite this far, but I'll just say it anyway. We've got the design, we've got the blueprints, and we've got the wreckage of what this country is supposed to be. We know what the country is supposed to look like in the same way we know what a P-38 is supposed to look like. We've got the what's left of the original structure intact. That is what we have to save and restore. And if it turns out you have to replace everything in the structure of this country with an exact duplicate of what was designed in the Constitution, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not it's academic. Glacier Girl now is a flying P-38 Lightning. And if it turns out that we have to rebuild everything, as long as we rebuild it according to plan and don't try and do it all at once, if we just basically say, so we're going to repair this, we're going to repair this, we're going to repair this, we're going to repair this. If you do that, then that's how a restoration works. I know that when, when I've seen restorations of cars, you know, same, same thing. I guess I don't have to keep hammering this point, but just for the heck of it, you, you get somebody's got a, a, a Model T or something who's been in a barn for 70, 80 years, and they bring it out, and they take the, the frame, the metal frame, and they get all the corrosion off of it, and they, they, they sand it down, and they do all that other stuff, they, they powder coat it or whatever. So that frame is still the same frame, but the tires are just chalk, right? They're just nothing. So they replace the tires with new tires. They're the same size tires, and they're, they're correct for the Model T, but they're not the original tire. Then again, the original Model T probably changes. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just all that is needed is the existing structure, damaged as, as damaged as it may be, the blueprints for what it used to be so we know how to rebuild it, and most importantly, it needs enormous amount of dedication, love, hard work, money, toil, uh, persistence, optimism, faith, all of those things. And if you put those things together, you get the country back. You don't just get the country back, you get the country back better than it was before it started falling apart. You get it back better. You could take, I, I have a, a high level of suspicion 
that that flying glacier girl that we just saw, the flying P-38. I have a high level of suspicion that inside that cockpit, there are there is at least one form of GPS navigation. I'm sure they made a major effort to get the panel exactly restored too, but I'm telling you, if there's not a GPS in there somewhere, I will be quite shocked. And and so you not only get to build it, you get to build it and improve on it, but it takes it takes the commitment. It takes the commitment. So, uh, I guess, Joe, I guess that's all I can tell you right now. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I thought I knew what was going to happen in, um, in 2022, but I was just dead wrong about that. There are a couple things I do know, and I don't know how they're going to affect the election. One thing I know is that what they're doing now cannot continue. That's just not, that just can't. The cities are, are falling apart so rapidly that even a progressive has to be able to see it. Um, and this pushback against this trans offensive is real. That pushback is real. And since the heart of the country is pushing back against this agenda, that means that the people pushing the agenda are fighting back twice as hard, doubling down. That's good. That's good. Um, so, again, here's, here's what a restoration looks like. In practical terms, uh, Swen uh, Nasarema will, I hope I got that right, says, we will lose unless we clean up the voter rolls. Correct. So part of the restoration process is not just cleaning up the voter rolls. Part of the restoration process, before you can clean up the voter rolls, the part of the restoration is you've got to get control, political control of whoever, whatever state mechanism cleans up the voter rolls. And we keep coming back to the only thing that's a, that, that is convincing me that this is possible, and that's Florida, which was a, a laughingstock in the 2000 election and now is, is probably the best-run state in the union. And because it is so well-run, the governor was re-elected with a 30-point margin that's unheard of, unheard of. So... What I'm saying is, in 2024, they can cheat their way out of 59 states and all the rest of the electoral votes, but Florida, I'm not saying Florida go Republican, but I am telling you that Florida will get you accurate voting results within a very short time after the elections close, as they've done for the last several cycles. Because in 2000, after that ongoing nightmare, they decided we're not going to make ourselves into fools like that again. So, I personally think that no matter what happens or who the candidate is, I've got a strong feeling, obviously, if it's DeSantis, but if it's not DeSantis, if it's Trump, I think Florida's going Republican in 2024. I'm not trying to dodge your question, Joe. I'm just trying to frame it in a way so that you understand what I'm trying to get at here. I know Florida is going to go Republican, and I know that, they, that those votes will not be tampered with because it wasn't just Ron DeSantis coming in. It was the Republican Party in Florida just somehow, I guess it's just like just quantum probability, you know. Presumably, uh, this, this coffee mug can float up into the air if all the, if all the particles decide to move at the same time in that direction. But in any event, somehow, through some miracle, Florida did it from the ground up. It, it it did it from the round up. I, there's not a... 
Is it true that there, I don't think there's a national representative? Is it? Is that right? Are there any? Well, there must be with all the districts. In any event, Florida is solidly Republican, and this is a self-reinforcing strategy. Not only is it solidly Republican, it's solidly Republican, which means it's being well-run. And when it's being well-run, that means people are going to want to either move there or to continue the upward path. So there it is. There stands Florida of all places. You know, I'm really quite surprised. But there it is. And it's not just Florida. How many states can we be sure of in the country right now, right? I think you could take the five that happened in 2020 and just put them all in the lucky if you get one category because those things they got away with and i don't know what the numbers look like in terms of the electoral college however however um i do know that we can pretty solidly count on florida and i'm pretty sure we can count on montana and wyoming got a good feeling about alabama got a good feeling about so how many states do we have where the election process still works okay so, if it turns out we lose in 2024, what do we do? The first thing we do is we make sure we don't take any more damage. In other words, whatever states are still using a working, fair, accurate, honest electoral system, make sure we don't lose any more of those. And then we start working on restoration. We start working on it one state at a time if we have to. I don't have to make it one state at a time. It'd be nice to get Arizona back. It'd be nice to get Nevada back. Um but in order to restore this thing, it's possible. Is there a state called Texas? Yes, I'm pretty solidly sure that Texas is going to be is going to be there too. So, if you look at Arizona as 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 this corroded out thing, and you take this analogy of the restoration, then Arizona will either be restored or not restored, depending on whether or not. The conservatives and Republicans in Arizona are willing to put the effort, the money, the time, the love, the dedication, the faith, and all the rest of it into restoring Arizona. And if they're not willing to do it, then it's going to stay under the ice. That's it. Entropy is on their side. It's always on their side. Everything rusts. Everything corrodes. Rust never sleeps. The grass keeps growing. All they have to do is sit and let it go. The Democrats, the progressives, they just have to let entropy pull everything down. That's the way gravity's working. We got to lift things uphill. They get to just sit there and float downhill. That's a big advantage for them, but we still have the truth on our side. So, whatever it takes to restore Arizona as an example will happen or not happen, depending on whether or not we care enough. Now, in terms of how do you make all of this stuff happen, one thing that they do, as I say, they've got entropy on their side. One of the things that entropy is helping them with is they have managed to they have managed to uneducate two generations, not just fail to educate, I mean uneducate them. Whatever knowledge these kids had has been disassembled. And new garbage is put in their head. If people were buying the new garbage, I'd say, okay, but nobody's laughing on that side. That side's not having any fun. They're not, they're not happy people where their policies are in place. The things just go to hell, 
right? That's an objective truth. So, when will the pain exceed the ideology? I'm hoping it'll, it'll happen in 2024. And I'll tell you this, if it does, and I think there's a good chance of it, I really do. If it does, the first thing, the first thing that President Trump or whoever will should do, the first thing is break up the tech companies. You have to do that before you start working on the electoral system. Because if you control the flow of information, then your efforts to re, to restore the electoral system to integrity are going to fail because the people of that particular state are not going to hear the message. Go after the second you get that thing is sworn in. I mean, honest to God, if it were me, if it were me, I would give my inaugural address and on the podium would be the pages of my speech. And shortly after that, in fact, not even shortly after on top of it, here's my speech, all these little pages right there. And on top of that is the bill to break up big tech. And I take the oath. I'm sworn in. Congratulations, Mr. President. I signed this bill to break up big tech, and then I give my inauguration speech. That's how important it is, and that's what I would do. And these people fear that greatly, and and I think that's the, the only way to start. If you don't, if you cannot control the message, then you can't fix the border, you can't fix defense, you can't fix the electoral system, you can't fix the COVID thing, you can't fix anything. You've got to go where the control of information is, and that nexus is in cupertino and the legal framework for breaking them up is not only in place it's been in place for a long time the justification for breaking these companies up is overwhelming and i'm a private business get the government out of affairs kind of guy these people are not carriers they're they're publishers. They are making editorial decisions, and therefore, I'm going to break them up because they don't get the protection of a carrier anymore. Cody Fett, for $10, need to hit the A early at night. Just wanted to say before sleep that I know someone from Arizona, and he's always talking about the fight to fix it. It's slow but steady progress towards victory. That's what Florida did. Thank you for that, Cody. Slow but steady progress. In fact, that's actually a significant source of a lot of our problems because it's, it's just so much easier. You know, it's so much easier than pulling that airplane apart, rivet by rivet and polishing everything, getting all the grime off and treating the corrosion and deciding which parts can stay and which parts that's, that's hard work takes a long time. That's what you have to do to, to get in on the state level and rebuild confidence in the, in the electoral system. It's long, tedious, tedious, long work. And that's why if you're not prepared to really love, if it's not something you wake up and look forward to that day, then it won't happen. But but they don't make P38s anymore. Just can't go, can't go out and buy a new one. And the same thing applies for electoral systems either. You either fix the one that's there or you just let these people continue on their way and they just keep doing what they're doing. They don't care. They don't care. They're aristocrats. They want people to be poor. They want the middle class to disappear. What's the point of lording it over the middle class if middle class people have everything that they have as privileged his, his royal heinous uh, uh, Gavin Newsom? What does Gavin Newsom have that I don't have? 
I'm a middle-class person. Uh, what does Gavin Newsom have that I don't have? He's got a bigger house than I do, but I've got electricity. He's got electricity. He's got air conditioning. I've got air conditioning. I have a car I like. He's got a car he likes. I get to fly on airplanes. He gets to fly on airplanes. Where's where's the ruling aspect of that? How does he how does he get to lord it over people in the way that aristocrats have always wanted to? How does he do it? Well, he doesn't do it. He can't do it. Because middle class means that there is essentially no dividing line between the rich and the poor or between the the between the middle class and the rich, or between the middle class and the poor. It's the middle class is the invention that has created freedom. You can't have freedom without the middle class, which is why they're making California unlivable for people in the middle class. It took me 15 years to figure out this simple fact. How can they not see this? How can they not see it? Of course they see it, Bill, you idiot. Of course they see it. Of course they understand their tax base is eroding. Of course they understand the hardworking, productive people are leaving the state. Of course they understand that. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's not a that's not something that they have to wake up to. This hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, yes, of course we want these businesses to leave. Of course we want the state to get poorer and poorer and poorer. Of course, half of all of the homeless people in the country live in California. We'd like to make it 90% if we could, because then life becomes intolerable for the middle class. The middle class leaves. We're still here with our big money. We get to live in mansions and everybody else can be our gardener. And that's how it works. And eventually, if we get our way, we'll tell them, you know, because of the climate, you know, the climate, Earth's about to die any second now. So you all eat bugs. We'll eat steak. You eat bugs. We'll fly our private jets. You guys walk or maybe take a bus or a train. We'll take our jets. Now you're back to the, 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 the order that they want. They're the lords and you're the serfs. And that's what they desire. That's what all of this internationalism is all about. It's what the World Economic Forum is all about. All of it. It's all about aristocracy. It's about autocracy. It's about rule. And our problem is, since we don't want to tell other people what to do, we generally mind our own business and, and leave other people alone. And that's how they've gotten as far as they've gotten. We just sat there and they didn't. They didn't just sit there. We just said, hey, I want nothing to do with politics. Okay, well, politics is going to have something to do with you. And that's why politics is in everything. That's why Target has a Pride Month display and had Satanistic t-shirts. Because we just plain walked away and they didn't. So we better decide to get back on this on this boat and back in this um, in this fight because and we will. We will. I'm, I'm utterly convinced that we will win this fight. I just don't know how long it's going to take. I really don't. The reason I believe we will win in the end is because, again, if people liked new Star Trek, if people liked new Disney, if Little Mermaid was an out-of-the-park smash hit, if, Harris, if, if Indiana Jones 5 was the largest grossing movie of all time, if people wanted this stuff then we would be done. But they don't, so we're not. And that's what you have to hang on to. You have to hang on to. Um, Eric Blake is excited because his question is next. Let me go ahead and take that. And something else I was going to talk about. I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay, here we go. Uh, two of them. I should probably do both of them. I think. Let me see how many we got here. 
we go to page two. We don't. Aha. Uh -huh. My strategy is working. Um, all right. So uh, here we go. Uh, Eric, Eric Blake. Uh, Bill is a Florida voter from the moment I achieve voting age. I am absolutely disgusted that our governor, whom I eagerly voted for both times, is now using his very recent re-election as little more than a stepping stone to the White House. He's listened to the electability siren song from the GOP establishment, and I'm very disappointed in him. And before anyone else claims otherwise, I would have said this if Trump were currently enjoying his second term. Ron's moment isn't now any more than the 76 election was Reagan's. It's not his time, period. Now, that aside, let's be honest, Bill, isn't Ron announcing his campaign before the Disney lawsuit concludes? The epitome of counting chickens before they're hatched? For all the talk about DeSantis having the good qualities of Trump and none of the bad, he sure seems to have the Don's hubris. God forbid Ron loses that lawsuit and therefore looks like he jumped the gun, which, as far as I'm concerned, as a Florida voter, he did. Now, Eric's been saying from as long as I can remember hearing the name Ron DeSantis, he's our governor and you can't have him. Okay. All right. Well. Florida's not the problem. And the thing about Ron DeSantis is he, he seems to have walked in and fixed the problem. He seems to have the ability to work with the system and fix the problem rather than just bull in a, in a China shop, uh, smash everything and, 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 and get everybody, you know, lathered up. My observation in general is that the, the progressives hate DeSantis but they hate his policies. They don't have a visceral hatred for him. They hate him because he introduces his power. I'm not saying they don't hate him. They hate him. But it's not. It's not like it's not like it is with Trump, where it's the guy. It's the guy that that's just got to. He's just got to go. They just don't like what DeSantis is doing. It's hard to. It's hard to hate DeSantis because DeSantis doesn't make the kind of statements and and remarks that Donald Trump makes all the time. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. All I know is. He is so far um, doing the heavy lifting in terms of restoring the country state by state. Uh, Texas appears to have been sitting on its laurels a little bit, but Texas is not in any danger, not that I'm aware of anyway. And all of this comes down to what, what people want. What do they want to do? Who do they want to vote for? And if we can't put a message together that we're not only not going to win, we don't deserve to win. We really just don't. You don't. If, if you can't even say what it is you're about, I'm not talking about me or you. I'm everybody in the comment section here knows exactly what we're about. But if the Republican Party can't elucidate a a, 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 a one sentence distillation of what we represent, then how the hell are you going to sell something you don't even you, you you don't even have it in a box yet? You don't even know what to call it. You haven't even made it yet. You don't even know what it is. So that's where the problem is, and. That's why we just keep banging our head against the wall here, trying to see, you know, trying to see how we can counter $40 billion or 43 from George Soros alone. There's probably $100,000 million on the table. Certainly that much if you throw in what China and Russia are doing. And against that, there's guys like me and, you know, and, JD and Mark Dice and, and the whole Daily Wire crowd and all the rest of it. So, the only question really is um, do you walk away? That's, that's when you lose. 
when you walk away, when you say it's over, then it's over. As long as it's as long as you're coming back for the fight, it, it ain't over till it's over. And um, it's just kind of a question of the clock now. I know that the people who are fighting so hard for this new world order on behalf of their insect overlords are not going to like the world order when they get it. The, the, that's why they have to get it as quickly as possible. Um, so, um, as far as the question goes, uh, whether, whether DeSantis has made a, a misstep or anything, I don't know, and I don't particularly care. You know, I don't expect people... Um, to be perfect. Yeah, thank you, Phil. I, I said the Democrats have a brand. They vote for Fetterman because they know that whoever is going to be the senator from Pennsylvania, it's not going to be Fetterman. He can't finish the sentence. But they know that the they know that the brand is there. They know that the policies that are going to come out of his Senate seat are going to be the policies that they want. Same thing for Feinstein. She's not here either, and neither is Pelosi and all. And, and Let's not forget, of course, the president of the United States or the vice president of the United States. All of the names I mentioned together don't have 120 IQ points spread in, in aggregate. But that doesn't matter to them because they're not – it's not about them. It's about the brand. And this is where they're succeeding, where we're failing because we're not making it about the brand. We're making it about the, 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 the salesman. We're making it about Trump. It shouldn't be about Trump. It should be about the message. It should be about the message of what the country is. Donald Trump won in 2016 for one very simple, 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 simple reason, and that is a red hat that says make America great again, period. That's why Don – that's why Don, um, Donald uh, Trump won in 2016. The hat. Simple. Absolutely simple. Absolutely clear. Everybody knew what it meant. You didn't have to have it explained to you. Right? That was a rallying cry. The MAGA hat was, was that was genius. That was, that's why he won. And, and that kind of clarity is the kind of clarity we need. You know? They don't. The, the, the Democrat, the Democrats can't sell anything. They've got the message, they've got the product, they've got the brand, they've got the distribution network. But build back, build back better. Is anybody talking about build back better? Has anybody ever listened to Joe Biden and go, "Wow, I hadn't thought about that before, Joe. I'm, I've changed my mind because of you." Has anybody ever listened to Kamala Harris speak and say, "You know, I couldn't decide if I was a Republican or Democrat, but now that I've heard the Vice President, I'm definitely voting Democrat." Has that ever happened? Ever? No, never, 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 never. We just plain have to get that message simple, clear, make America great again, make America free again. That might not be a, you know, a Maffa hat. Um, I, I think I would rather go with a Maffa hat. And I think on reflection, I think on reflection, if I was going to really play the deep game, I think if I was Donald Trump, I would unveil the Maffa hat as make America free again. And this time... I would make the hat blue. That's, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. I'd make it blue. I'd make it a blue hat. Make America free again. Blue. Everybody knew what the red hat meant. Everybody knew what the MAGA hat meant. Red, MAGA, make America great again. Republicans, conservatives, right-wingers. Okay? I'd make the hat blue. I'd go with blue. Make America free again. I'd wear a blue hat. I'd just put it in their face. I just own them. I'd walk over to where they are, and I'd just start peeing on the campfire. That's what I would do, and um, that's what I would do. I would just simply say, 
yeah, what are you going to do about it? Blue is our color. Well, no, it's our color too. Actually, red, white, and blue are all our colors. Not yours, because you hate the country. Our colors, red, white, and blue, we're not giving up blue. Blue is ours too. Screw you. Mafa. Make America free, make America free again. Um, and, um, and there you go. You can just make it blue. That's our color. No, it was your color. It's our color now too. Can you have red? No, you can't have red. We have red. We have blue. We also have white. You can have any other color you want. In fact, I encourage you. Um, you can have any color you want. You can have all the pinks and the purples. You can have all the browns, all the earth, earth tones. All those things are yours. Are fantastic. Knock yourselves out. But the red, the white, and the blue all belong to us. Not just the red. So, you can't stop us from making a blue hat. So, we're going to make a blue hat. Somebody's going to market this, and they're going to make a billion trillion dollars, and I'm going to sit there and go, wow, I wish I hadn't said that all out. But that's not my job. My job is to say things out loud. So, there you go. Uh, I'm, going to I'm going to interrupt this uh, programming for a minute to talk about something that I wanted to get to in the beginning, because... Uh, two days, yeah, two days ago, uh, I had a phone call. Uh, some of you, I don't, I haven't promoted it very much, um, but uh, over the course of the last several years, not not only have I done work for Daily Wire, I've also done a number. I think I've done three of three shoots. I don't know how many episodes I turned. I think I did three times, three episodes, three times. So nine. I think I did nine episodes. Of a show called American um, American Made uh, for uh, Fox Business, and um, and they had me come in and talk about the Saturn V or the seven forty seven or the Sherman tank, which I didn't know nearly enough about until two days before I went down there and had a pretty good idea of what tanks do and all the rest of it. So um, they asked me to do a fourth one, but this one's different. Um, on the uh, on the twelfth. Yeah, the 12th. Um, on the 12th of June, I am going to a studio. Instead of shooting another episode of that, I am going to be there as one of a few people who are going to represent uh, Team Freedom on the moon landing debate. It's not just me, but I'm fairly convinced that I'm going to have the lion's share of the time when I'm finished with this. Um, the plan is for the host, who I'm not familiar with, um, but you will probably know him. Uh, it's not Jimmy Fallon. It's Fallion. It's a comedian. And the producer of the show told me that the, 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 the basic spin is, is that Jimmy's going to be um, a conspiracy guy. He's going. Jimmy is going to be a guy who does not believe the moon landing happened. That's how we're going to play the show. I said, "Hooray, hooray!" Now, that realization that I was going to be that I was going to be uh, you know batting for the home team got me to do something that I had kind of wanted to do and never did. I spent about two hours yesterday, I want to say, two, two and a half hours. I got numbers on things that I knew was true. I want to, I want to go in there ammoed up. So when I hear the objections to why the moon landing happened, 
I've known how to deal with those arguments, but what I didn't have was numbers. And it's funny what numbers will do, because if you have numbers, um, then uh, then you, you you can win. So I just wanted to share with you some of the numbers that I got in from a couple days ago. Uh, from uh, Kisama001, thank you, $5 Super Chat. Hey, Bill, I just watched What is a Woman? Sadly, Elon is trying to appease both sides and failing by restricting its reach. It was brilliant. It is brilliant. It's brilliant, brilliant work. Matt Walsh, if he never does anything else, and he will, what he's done with that topic and with that movie is magnificent. All right, so this will be free. This, uh, this, this Will this be available? Yes, this is going to be on Fox Business, I believe. I'll let you know because this one I'm going to link to. Um, but here's some information, uh, some numbers that I hope will astound you because it certainly astounded me. So I, I took uh, took notes. I took a significant number of notes. Yeah, it's hard to see all of them. I took a lot of notes. Um, so here we go. You'll get a kick out of this. So... Um, Let's deal with a couple of these uh, so-called um, proof that the lunar landing didn't happen. To my utter amazement, uh, the one that seems to be most popular, or one of the most popular, is there's no stars visible from the surface of the moon. My first response to that will be, oh, God, how could we go to all that trouble to fake the moon landing and forget to put stars up there? What were we thinking? Boy, I sure feel like an idiot now. The whole the whole thing is given away. We forgot to put the stars up there, you idiots. God, we're in space, you know. Somebody's going to get fired over this. Um, okay, so why can't you see stars in the uh, from the surface of the moon? Well, the answer I would have gone with in the past is that it's too bright. And that's the correct answer. But what I didn't know was, I didn't know how too bright it was. If you know the answer, please do not chip in. I'm not trying to trap anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody look stupid. I would just like a little feedback. So if you don't know the answer, give us your best guess in either one of the two streams. Here's the first question. How much brighter is sunlight than moonlight. And by moonlight, I mean full moon directly overhead on a clear night. The brightest moonlight it is possible to have, the brightest moonlight that can possibly exist, how much brighter is sunlight than moonlight? I'll allow a few moments for people to tick in their, um, their answers. I wish I had the, the Jeopardy theme. So far, we're getting 42 times from um, B-Fire. We're getting 10,000 10, times, wow, from Lord Bios. CP Tome says daylight's 42 times brighter. Brooks says 88 times brighter. Eric Blake says it's 42 times brighter. 25 times brighter from Jim Patrick. I'll let another minute, uh, another 10 seconds go by, and then I will close uh, magnitudes. I'm not going to deal with magnitudes. 1,000 times brighter, 1,000 times brighter, 100 times brighter. Okay, thank you. 246 times brighter, 500 times brighter. Here is your answer. Sunlight is 380,000 times brighter than moonlight. 380,000 times brighter. 
How can that be? Well, it can be because when your eyes are in daylight, not only do your irises constrict, but the chemistry on the back of your retina changes. Your eyes actually go into like a kind of a low, they kind of go into like a low response mode. They, the, the chemistry in your eye changes according to the available light. Sunlight is 380,000 times brighter than moonlight. Nobody gets even close to that. And when you realize that if you're standing on the moon and the surface of the moon is being lit by something that is 380,000 times brighter than moonlight is, all of a sudden this thing starts to make a little bit more sense. But I'm not done yet. Here's another question for you. How much brighter do you think... Now, I'm not talking about moonlight on the ground. I'm saying if you look up at a full moon in the night sky, directly overhead, as bright as the moon gets, how much brighter is the moon compared to Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. How much brighter is a full moon than Sirius? And again, we'll allow just a few moments here. Uh, looking up at the sky, there's the moon. How much brighter is it than the brightest star in the sky? One point eight million, uh, fifteen million. No, I think people are going in the other direction now. One thousand times. No, so I'm not going to let this one go. It's more than seven. Yes, three hundred eighty thousand times brighter. No. So sunlight on the ground is three hundred eighty thousand times brighter than moonlight. The moon is twenty-seven thousand times brighter than the brightest star. 27,000 times brighter than the brightest star. So by now, you should be beginning to realize that there is an awful lot more distance between daylight and nighttime than you would ever suspect to be true. Now, now we get to have a little bit of fun. So if your eyes have to make an adjustment for 400,000 times the brightness, then all of a sudden, it's not so miraculous why you can't see the stars because of the intensity of what sunlight really is. Here's a question for the people that I came up all on my own on, and I've never heard anybody actually answer this. How come you can't see stars on the moon? Why, why can't you see stars during the moon landing? Why is that? Well, I would ask you, why can't you see stars in the daytime? They don't go away, you know. Why don't you see stars in the daytime? Here on Earth right now. This is something you can test for your own self, actually. You don't have to go to the moon to figure this one out. You can actually do this one on your own. You can play, play this one in your, home, uh, in your home game, kids. Go outside in the daytime and tell me where the stars are. Because atmosphere absorbs the sunlight? No. If the atmosphere were absorbing the light of stars then we wouldn't be able to see the stars at nighttime. The atmosphere is the same in the daytime and the nighttime, so why can you not see stars during the daytime? Because you're sitting under a light source that is, I, I think the actual number compared to stars is about a trillion times brighter, but you're sitting under a light source. It's 400,000 times, 400, I'm sorry, 380,000 times brighter than the full moon. The reason you can't see the stars in the daytime is your eyes cannot do both of these things at the same time. When the sun goes down, 
the stars appear to come out, but it's not like they're suddenly lighting up, you know. It's not like somebody's got a dimmer and they're dimming up the stars as it's getting to be darkness time. No, those stars are always there. They're always the same brightness. You can't see them in the daytime because it's too bloody bright outside. So if you're asking how come you can't see the stars from the surface of the moon, that's the same reason why you can't see the stars from the surface of the earth at daytime, you idiots. Period. That's it. It's that simple. It's just not possible. Now, as it turns out, as it turns out, if you, I haven't actually done this with a star, but I've done this with Venus. So Venus is probably, I don't know, a couple times, well, significantly brighter than the brightest star, but it's, it's in the general ballpark. Starlight is 9.5 trillion times dimmer than, dimmer than sunlight. That's what I'd had always heard. I just want to make sure I got that. So let me just get that number down. It's, yeah, it's about, uh, it's about 9.5 trillion times. Trillion. I didn't go with that originally because I'd seen that number and I didn't know how it was derived. Okay. So, uh, there's, um, there's why you can't see the stars on the moon. Turns out that those guys actually got it right. Now we get to the one that I've been looking forward to. This is the one that got me starting doing the research because this is the one I really needed actual numbers on in order to make the case. And here's how I'm going to handle this one. The Apollo landings could not have happened. The moon landing is a fake because there's no way that the astronauts could have survived the passage through the Van, Al through the Van Allen radiation belts. That's basically the form of the question that's going to come to me. And my response to that will be, well, that's a serious charge. And fortunately, that's a, uh, a measurable charge. So how much dose would you take going through the Van Allen belts, Mr. TV show host? Well, I don't know. Well, you better know. You're just the one who said it didn't happen because they take a fatal dose. You couldn't survive passage through the Van Allen radiation belt. So, number one, I know. Do you know how much is a fatal dose of radiation? And number two, how much radiation did they actually take when they went through the Van Allen belts? Would they have taken? If they were to go, let's say they didn't go, but let's say you're right. Let's say they faked it because it's impossible to transit the radiation belts. So since that would have killed them, what dose would it have been if they had gone through? You can give it to me in rads or sieverts or probably millisieverts up to you. I don't care. Any one of those would be fine. Rem, any, any of them. What, how, how much is it? How, what's the radiation exposure in the Van Allen belts? Oh, no. Now, of course you don't know. You don't know, but you've just told me that it's a lethal dose. You don't even know what a lethal dose is, I'd be willing to bet you. But what you surely don't know is you don't know how much radiation a capsule would have taken going through the Van Allen radiation belts. So, this is, this is where I'd actually start the argument. If you're telling me that astronauts cannot survive passage of the Van Allen radiation belts, then you'd better tell me what the radiation dose is of the Van Allen radiation, the Van Allen belts. You better tell me what is the, what amount of ionizing radiation are the Van Allen belts putting out to make it impossible for astronauts, living astronauts to go through there. What is it? What's the dose? Well, this one I spent a significant amount of time on.
I think you could actually, and I'm not sure if so, if uh, M1A1 is making this point, I never heard it. I never heard it stated quite this clearly, but I did hear enough actual evidence to suggest that it was actually more dangerous for them to be outside the Van Allen belts. The Van Allen belts actually stop more background radiation. But here, here we go. So unlike these guys who just assert that it was not possible to take, couldn't do it. It killed the astronauts. Okay. Well, let's figure that out. First of all, what dose would be necessary to kill a human being? Turns out that this is not an easy question to answer because people react to radiation differently. So the closest answer you can come up with is a dose of 400 rads on the skin, right? Not internally. They take 400 rads of radiation. A human who takes 400 rads of radiation on the skin has a 50% chance of dying within 30 days if they do not get medical attention. 400 rads. 400 rads comes to four sieverts or 4,000 millisieverts, 4,000 milli, uh, thousandth of a sievert, okay? So the lethal dose is either 400 rads equals four sieverts equals 4,000 millisieverts. And now for the sake of the argument, we're going to talk in millisieverts. It doesn't matter if you know what a millisievert is. Consider it units, okay? Units. The lethal dose to get 50% of the people to die without medical care after 30 days is 4,000 millisieverts. 4,000 units. That's what it takes to have a 50% chance of killing an astronaut. So, with 4,000 being the fatal dose, how much radiation did the astronauts actually take? Well, it turns out, believe it or not, that they put uh, decimeters on these guys because radiation was, in fact, a concern for them, and that's why they shielded the command module, and that's why the command module had a lot more shielding than the lunar module. Lunar module had to lift off again. Command module didn't. So, here we go. 4,000 millisieverts, 50% of the time will kill you. What did the astronauts take? Well, on Apollo 8, they took 1.6 out of 4,000. On Apollo 10, they took 4.8. On Apollo 11, they took 1.8. Apollo 12, they took 5.8. 13, they took 2.4. 14 was way out of the park. They took 11.4 millisieverts of the 4,000 millisieverts that would kill half of them. Apollo 15 took 3 Apollo 16 took 5.1. Apollo 17 took 5.5. Now, if you take all those numbers and average them together, that means that the average dose was 4.6 millisieverts. The fatal dose for 50% fatality is 4,000. What the average dose for the Apollo astronauts was during the entire trip was four and a half. It is almost precisely 1% of the lethal dose for 50% of the, of the people. The Apollo astronauts took about 1% of what it would have killed them. It would have killed half of them. 1%. Now, let's be fair. If, in the unlikely event, if a solar flare had been directed directly at the Earth while they were on the mission, that would have been a serious problem. That would have been the kind of mission, that would have been the kind of event that would have gotten them in the LEM to the command module and back home as fast as they could, right? That's what it would have done because when a flare is coming at you, then, then those numbers go way, way up beyond 4, 10, 15, 12 millisieverts. Then you've got a real problem. But it didn't, it didn't um, happen, and so we didn't have to worry about it. They had plans for if it did happen, if it did happen, it's like, let's get the hell out of here and get home. And... 
theoretically, the largest dose imaginable based on the largest solar flare ever recorded in terms of the energy that thing put out, that thing would have put out about 380 rads of the 400 needed to kill you. So if you got one aimed directly at you, you were in some real trouble. Um, yes, that's right. That's not 1%. That's, that's a tenth of 1%. But those numbers are correct. So one-tenth of 1%. I said it's less than 1%. It is. It's a tenth of 1%. Um, now, how do we know these numbers? Well, Dr. Van Allen, who, who discovered the, the Van Allen radiation belts, was asked about this. And he said that the most intense part of the Van Allen radiation belts are the inner belt. And that the most intense part of the inner belt, there are two belts, inner and outer. The inner one is by far more energetic than the outer one. Dr. Van Allen said, if you were to put a space shuttle meaning a shielded ship, into the heart, the very heart of the most active part of the Van Allen belts. That's about a thousand miles above the surface of the Earth. If you put men in a spaceship 1,000 miles above the Earth and had them continually orbiting inside the heart of the inner belt, it would take a week for them to get a lethal dose of radiation. It would take a week. The Apollo astronauts transited the inner belt of the of the Van Allen belts moving at a speed of 24,000 miles an hour, they cross through the innermost belt of radiation in 15 minutes. So, just so we're all on the same page, one week in the inner belt will get you to 50% mortality. They went through in 15 minutes. And uh, since uh, I was told there'd be no math, I got some of these numbers in advance. One week is 10,080 minutes. So you'd have to be in the inner belt core for 10,080 minutes to get a lethal dose of radiation, but the Apollo astronauts were not inside it for 10,080 minutes. They were in it for 15 minutes, and 15 is less than 10,800, or 10,080. It's considerably less, actually. Um, and to cross the entire set of belts, including the outer weaker one, they were only there for two hours. So that's 60 minutes. I'm sorry, 120 minutes. And, and so it is not even close the largest and uh b fire's got got this the largest dose that you can get on earth in terms of in terms of a people say how many chest x-rays well turns out that over the course of the years the enormously reduced the amount of x-rays that you have to have to get an x-ray so those numbers are actually pretty low right now in terms of medical care medical radiation dose intentional dose on the earth uh the most radiation intense thing you can do is a full CT scan, full body CT scan. Um, I've seen somebody come up with a couple different numbers, but basically a full body CT scan is about one rad. That's 10 millisieverts, I think. Is that right? I think so. I'll double check that one. But basically, it's, it's about double what the astronauts took. That kind of a full-body CT scan is about double what the Apollo astronauts took. Here's one, here's one number I did check and recheck and recheck again. So the average for the Apollo astronauts in terms of the radiation dose was 4.6 millisieverts. In the course of a year on Earth, just as any single one of us, every single one of us, the amount of radiation we take over a year is about 3 
Noble Sieverts, the astronauts took an average of 4.6 in the space of about 10 days. So, in the space of about 10 days, they took about as much radiation as they would take if they'd stayed on Earth for a year and a half. And we don't drop dead from radiation exposure at 3 millisieverts a year. It's so... It's so easy to blow this stuff out of the water. This is why I'm going to open with the, well, what is the dose? I'm not going to give it to him in advance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, well, okay. You assert that the radiation dose would have killed him. What, what is the dose? Yeah, 400 reds is four sieverts. Then 400 reds is uh, 4,000 millisieverts, I would think. Okay, so you can just destroy these people. I'm just going to do all the rest of it, too. All these, uh, these shadows are, aren't parallel. Therefore, it can't possibly have been on the moon. Okay, you know. You know when you park a car in a parking lot? You know how the parking lot looks kind of like that? You know how? If you were to get in a drone and go directly over the parking lot and look down, those lines would not be converging. They'd all be parallel because... This is called parallax. This is what happens. Vanishing point to the horizon, all of that jazz. And when you throw in the distortion available by lenses, if I take up two straight lines on a 100-millimeter lens, a 200-millimeter lens, and then I go to a 12-millimeter lens, they're both going to bend, and that's something we can do right now, any day. And then you have to ask questions like, kind of inconvenient for you, that, um, that you can shoot a laser at the moon, and you get a reflection back, at the six places where we landed on the moon, and there's a seventh place too. You get seven laser reflections back. The seventh place is where the Soviets put an unmanned lander. You can get a, a radiate. You can get a, a laser beam returned to you there. We can tell the distance to the moon to about six inches at any given time now because of that. So how did those radar? Uh, uh, how did those laser reflectors get up there? Exactly where they're supposed to be. And since the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter was able to see the landing sites from its normal orbit, they dropped the orbit of the LRO for, I don't know, about 10 days or something, I think, took it down to a, a much lower orbit, and then waited until they passed over the landing sites. And now there are images of all of the Apollo landing sites, and you can see the four legs on the lunar modules. The descent stage, you can see the tracks of where the astronauts walked. You can see the driving tracks of where they drove. You can see where the flag is in most cases. You can see where the ASLEP, the Apollo Surface Lunar uh, Experiments packages are. It's all right there. It's all precisely where it needs to be. And it's all available publicly through the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Now, obviously, some people are just, there's nothing you can do to convince them. But nevertheless, just, you know, keep them coming. You know, keep them coming. Uh, well, we, we we have information. We have a guy who said that, you know, was in charge of NASA. He was, a, he was a NASA engineer. He said, we faked the whole thing. Really? That's interesting. I have a message from a guy. I got an email from a guy who said that the, uh, that the Kansas City Chiefs didn't win the Super Bowl. It was the Eagles that won the Super Bowl. You may think the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, but that's not true. That's all part of the deception. It was the, it was the Philadelphia Eagles that won this last Super Bowl. Uh, and how do I know that? I, I know that because a guy who was there told me that they won. He was on the staff. In fact, I got an email from the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs saying 
that the Eagles won that game and that the Kansas City Chiefs lost. So why are we still saying that the Chiefs won when the, when the Eagles clearly won? Don't tell me that you and 100 million other people watched it happen live. I have somebody wrote down and told me that that, that didn't happen. I've got a guy on the inside. He sent an email saying, no, the Eagles won the game. So, certainly that outweighs the proof of what 200 million people saw live in front of their own eyes, right? I've got a guy who said something. Got a guy who wrote down something. He was on the inside. He knew he was a football coach. Wrote down that the Eagles won the game. So, I guess we'd better rewrite all the history books, right? Because if I've got a guy who said that something happened, that certainly outweighs what 200 million people saw happening in real time. And it certainly outweighs the fact that there were roughly 100,000 people in the stadium while this was going on, and every single one of them were part of the conspiracy to make you believe that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl when actually it was the Eagles. Every single one of them. Everyone. They were all in on it. All of them. The whole thing was a giant scam. The, the feed that they sent back out live was all done previously in a studio, was done on a, on a, on a football field using the same uniforms two weeks earlier, and and I can't believe that you sheeple fell for this deception because I've, because I've told you, a guy's already admitted that that happened. He's told me that it happened, and, and there it is. How stupid does that sound to you? Because I was one of the many millions of people who watched every one of those Saturn V launches. I saw Apollo 13 go into the sky. Now, this is where I get to have a little bit of fun. So if the question is, how much is a conspiracy paying me to defend the moon landing here on Fox Business, the answer is the conspiracy is paying me the exact same amount of money that Fox Business is paying me to be here today. That's how much they pay me. You're both paying me nothing. I'm doing this because I care about the truth. And um, there you go. Uh, and, and of course, P7 2017, is, this is also, I've just got them all lined up. I'm ready to go. We were racing the Soviets to the moon. When we landed on the moon, the Soviets congratulated us. And all of these Soviet cosmonauts said, well, we were close. We could have, if, we, if Korolev hadn't died in 66, we would have beat the Americans. I don't believe that's true, but let's say it was. The Russians, the Soviets, congratulated us on landing on the moon, which was nice of them. Because if we hadn't landed on the moon, Soviet radars would have shown the Apollo command module still in orbit. And you would think that if anybody was going to say, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. What's it doing in orbit around the Earth? They just said they landed on the moon. We've got radar tracks on it in, in Earth orbit here. You would think that they would be the ones to make the loudest. But, of course, that means that the Soviets were in on it too, you see. The conspiracy to fool the Soviets that we landed on the moon the Soviets were also complicit in, in that conspiracy because they didn't release the fact that we never went to the moon. They just agreed that we did it. So not only was it us with hundreds of thousands of people involved to fool the Soviets, the Soviets were part of the conspiracy too. Them agreeing that we went to the moon was just another super, super, super cool way to make sure that nobody got to the real truth, you see? See how it works? Um, 
Actually, uh, Dave Bigbooty said, didn't Korolev die when their big rocket blew up? I actually thought that too, but no. Korolev died of, um, well, presumably they said he died of, uh, of cancer, but a number of people said that he died in a Soviet you know, hospital in Moscow because of a botched hemorrhoids operation, which sounds believable to me. There was a major guy who was a big head of the space, one of the heads of the space program, some big general or something, who who was insisting that he go sit, that the N1 was so safe that he put a lawn chair out there essentially and watched the launch. And when that thing blew up, killed him and killed, I don't know, 30 people, 100 people as well. Um, so uh, there you go. And then here, here's the one that the, uh, this is my knockout punch. Because on the conversation with the producer, he gave me a couple of examples of the kind of things that they're going to ask me. Okay, if we went to the moon, how come we haven't been since then? Well, turns out there's a couple reasons for that. There's some simple ones, and there's one real important one. So I'll just do the simple ones first. The short answer is, you know, actually, before I answer that question, uh, what's your favorite movie? I'm not going to wait for the delay. I'm going to ask the. I'm going to ask this. What's your favorite movie of all time ever? Lord of the Rings, uh, the Two Towers. Great. How many times did you see, you see it in the theater? Yeah. How many times did you go back? I saw it three times. Three times. You went to the theater three times to see that movie, your favorite movie ever, right? Yeah. And then why didn't you go a fourth time? Well, I've already seen it and, you know, I mean, I've seen it three times. Yeah, but why didn't you go a fourth time? Well, I kind of knew what would happen. I mean, I, I knew what was going to happen. Well, see, we went back to the theater six times. To see the same show. We landed on Apollo 11. We went back and watched it again on Apollo 12. We wanted to see it on 13, but there was another gigantic drama. Then we went back and watched it again for 14. And then we watched it again on 15. Then we watched it again on 16. Then we watched it again on 17. We went to see that movie six times in the theaters. We went out and watched it six times in the theaters before we got bored. You got bored after three showings. We got bored after six. America is such a remarkable country that half a century ago, it got bored of going to the moon. And that is the simple and not important answer for why we haven't been back. We just got bored with it. We did it. If I'm in a race, if I'm a race car driver and I'm taking risks to come in first, I'm going to take a lot of risks to come in first. But if I'm on the, if I'm three laps behind when the winner crosses the checkered flag, I'm not going to race as hard after that. It's over. It's over. But the real reason the real reason we haven't been back to the moon is one that you're not going to like very much. But I'm going to tell you what it is anyway, because it is the actual reason for why we haven't been back yet. The reason we haven't been back to the moon since 1972 is because since then, Americans have become much more fearful, much more risk-averse, much less independent, much less decisive, but mostly, mostly We've become much, much, much stupider since then. Much, much stupider since then. And now we know why people, especially young people, can't believe that the lunar landing occurred. Because they've been told that they're the smartest kids ever. And they think the moon landing is just the world's biggest. Okay, boomer. You landed on the moon? Okay, boomer. Well, we did land on the moon, zoomers. And I'm sorry that you can't accept that. I'm sorry that you're not emotionally able to process the fact that your grandfathers were capable of going to the moon, essentially doing the math in their head. 
I know, I know that's got to bother you. But it's true, and you know it's true, because none of the arguments that you're putting up to say it didn't happen hold any water at all, and you know it. You just want to believe it because of an emotional need that you have. And by the way, it's not your fault that you're much dumber than the people that went to the moon. Much dumber. It's the fault of the people who went to the moon that you're the stupid. You didn't raise yourselves. You didn't, you didn't design your own educational system. We did that. We allowed that to happen. So that's on us. But nevertheless, there it is. That's what we did. And um, well, what about computers? You couldn't go to the moon without computers. Why is that? Well, you can't, can't do something that complex without computers. Okay. Um, what about if you're moving through the air at 500 miles an hour and you're in the kind of rain and storms that mean that you can't see anything out the window? Essentially, the windows are painted white. Is it possible to land an airplane without computers when you can't see out the window? No. Actually, it is. And we did it for 50, 60 years, maybe, 40, certainly 40. 40 years where humans using this computer were able to land an instrument approach in zero visibility. We've been doing that for 40 years or something before we had computers that were doing that. Right? We were able to do that. Right? How were we able to land on the moon without having computers? Well, we didn't have powerful computers. Probably the best way to describe the Apollo computers is to say they were programmable calculators. But they were doing the math, and they were giving us altitudes. But the real reason we landed on the moon without computers is because while they didn't have powerful computers on board the, the lunar module, it did have something to make up for it. It had something that more than made up for the fact that it didn't have powerful computers. What the lunar module had in order to make up for the lack of computers was it had two big windows on it. That's why we were able to land it on the moon because it had two big windows on it. And that meant that the professional pilots who had flown simulators, both electronic and practical, who had risked their lives on Earth flying these unstable things, were able to look out the window and land on the moon in the same way that I can drive a car without a computer and the same way I can fly an instrument approach without a computer. That's how they did it. That's how they did it. And exactly, Dave Big Booty said we had big, huge mainframes in Houston. It's not like the astronauts had to do those course corrections on their own with a scratch pad or even a slide rule, right? They didn't determine where the correction burns were. The Apollo, the, 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 the crew of Apollo 11 weren't the ones who, who were say, we need a four-second burn with, a, with, a, with an offset angle of 62 degrees. They didn't say that. The guys on the ground said, hey, you guys need a four-second burn with an offset angle of 62 degrees because our mainframe computers down here have been working on this problem for the last three days, and we've decided, based on your radar information, that you're just slightly off course, so this is what you need to do it. So where's the problem here? Where's the problem? And as far as your side is concerned, how can you see dust behave like water unless you're in a vacuum? And... It's harder to make a vacuum the side of a soundstage than it is to go to the moon. And by the way, if this whole thing is a giant conspiracy and a lie, and only now are people smart like you figuring out the real truth, if this is like there were 300,000 people worked on the Apollo program, so every single one of them was in on the conspiracy, every single one of them kept quiet, no one provided any actual evidence. But, okay, so, so if that's the case, then... Actually, my simplest explanation that I would require of you is, why did we go back? 
if this is the biggest risk in history, if it's the biggest con in history, the largest lie told in history, and it's only through the unbelievable diligence of people like you who've managed to see through the curtain and, and pierce the reality behind it, then why did we go back? If we, if we claimed that we landed on the moon on Apollo 11 and we did the big cheer and we say we won, then why would we go back? It just multiplies the risk. That's one more time we've got to set the whole thing up in a studio. One more time where there's film that can show like there's a marking on a rock or something. Why would we go back? Why? What's the point? I got a better question for you. Why did we go back six times? Actually seven, but six got there. And I got an even bigger question for you. Much bigger question for you. When I watched Neil Armstrong land on the moon, you know what I did not say to myself? When I watched him walking around? I never during that Apollo 11 moonwalk did I ever say, I wish there was a car there. I never said that. I didn't miss the lunar rover when it wasn't there, right? It's not like they needed the car, the rover. They didn't need the rover in order to do the Apollo 11 landing, and so I didn't miss it. But then the question I have to ask you is, if they built all this stuff in a giant studio, then why the hell did you put a car on three of these missions and drive it at 20 miles an hour for 40 minutes? Why would you do that? If it's all done on a soundstage, why would you possibly build a soundstage that, that is literally 10, 15 miles long in order to accommodate a car that you wouldn't have missed if it wasn't there? Why would we possibly, if we're going to do this thing as a fake, why on earth would we put a freaking car on the final three missions and drive over the horizon with it. Why? Why would we do that? Why? I'm waiting. I got, I got all day. Why? Yeah, Tim Morris is exactly right. We sent Stanley Kubrick to the moon to fake the moon. We faked the moon landing footage on the moon. Better go to the moon to fake the footage landing. Yeah, and I got all the rest of them. Now we got a guy who said it didn't happen. Well, okay, well, there's 12 Saturn V launches, I think. The manned ones were, were, were there were three or four or five million people in Cape Canaveral watching these launches live. You've seen the footage of them standing there. I was there for one, but I'm obviously part of the conspiracy, even though I was only 10. So they probably just bought me a new baseball glove or something. Um, but are you saying that the Saturn V rockets didn't launch? No, 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 they launched. They just didn't go to the moon. So in order to go to the moon, you need a rocket powerful enough to take you to the moon. And we built one powerful enough to take us to the moon. And 98% of the total power used during the lunar missions, just in terms of pounds of thrust, was designed to get us into orbit. So in order to not go to the moon... We had to build a gigantic moon rocket capable of going to the moon, and we had to build 12 of them, right? Right? We had to, because 12 of them launched, or it might have been 13, I should probably get that correct before I know. So why would we do that? Why would we build 12 moon rockets? 12. Wouldn't one be enough? If the whole thing's going to be a lie, why would you risk it? 12 times. 12 Saturn V launches, 
seven lunar missions, six of which actually landed on the moon. Apollo 13 came back because of the hard work and the courage and the intelligence and the improvisation and the guts and the grit and the faith and the, and the unbelievable work ethic brought these guys back from the dead. So, what about that? How did that work? And you don't get to say, I don't know. Right? You don't get to keep moving the goalposts every single time. You have a theory, and I have a theory. I provided evidence for my theory. Now you need to provide evidence for your theory. Let me hear your evidence. Were those rockets real or not? And they're done. Right? They're done. Well, they, don't, they, they, they launched into space, yeah, but they stayed in Earth orbit. They stayed in Earth orbit. Why? So that the Soviets could track them in Earth orbit? How do you get the Soviets on our team if the whole thing was designed to beat the Soviets? If we didn't go to the moon, then all the Soviet Union would have to do is show the radar tracks of Columbia in orbit around the Earth while they're claiming to be landing on the moon and say, and win the greatest propaganda victory of all time. It's not even dependent on the people in NASA, all 300,000 of them, not one of them to provide any evidence. It's not even necessary to have 300,000 of those people keeping a secret for their entire lives. The Soviets are in on the fraud designed to convince the Soviets that we went up to the moon. You got anything else you want to talk about, dude? Because I got to tell you, this is not real impressive in terms of in terms of anything you not only don't have anything the stuff you're bringing is so sad that it's actually the best evidence the best evidence that we went to the moon in a way is how weak the arguments against it are you know I really think that's it this is what you got Fatal dose through the Van Allen radiation belts. You can't tell me what the dose is. I can tell you, but you can't tell me. All shot in a soundstage while we drive around at 20 miles an hour for 45 minutes. Six times. Soviets on board. No stars in the sky. There's a letter C on a rock. You know what else is on a rock? There are rocks that look like people. There are rocks that look like birds. There's rocks that look like elephants. What you're showing me on that rock that's got a so-called C on it, if that were an engraved letter C, or if it was a letter C that was marked on with a stencil, then you'd have actually some compelling evidence. But you don't have a C that's marked on by a stencil. You've got a crack in a rock that is an irregularly shaped approximation of a C. And if you want me to start looking at lunar footage, I will, because I will now go and look at moon footage and i'll find you l's i'll find you i's i'll find you a lot of i's i'll find you some o's i'll find you all a bunch of other letters and numbers that you that, that are on the moon all part of the styrofoam moon rocks that were put there you see because making a c or something that is a general approximation of a c is not terribly hard naturally i mean you know now if the side of the if the side of the um moon rock had instead of had a c if it said property of acme corporation then I'd be impressed because that's extremely unlikely in terms of natural explanations on one freaking rock on one freaking mission. But that's not what you got. You got something that looks kind of like a sea. 
And by the way, if it's if the C was a mistake that this is rock C and we had to label the rocks. So we've got a bunch of rocks out there. We've got more rocks than we have letters for, but let's just put that aside because we drove past, you know, 40 minutes of these rocks. So we've probably got rocks that are seven C's and all the rest. Put all that aside for a minute. If we're going to mark a rock with a C, shouldn't that be the part of the rock that's down, right? In other words, it's an error that we're seeing the C, right? That's a mistake that proves we didn't go. Forget about all the rockets that were launched. On. You've got a crack in a rock that looks in the approximation of a half of a, of a, of a circle. But if that's what you use to mark the prop, would that be on the flat part on the bottom? In other words, yes, you're saying the thing tipped over, accidentally revealed the C. I'm saying the side of the rock that the C is on is as curved and as normal as the other side of the rocks are. If it's a prop rock, it's going to have a flat bottom. That's what prop rocks have. If I want to show rocks coming up out of the ground on Star Trek, I make something that looks like a rock on the top, and it has a flat bottom, and that sits on the ground, and if I'm going to mark that thing with a C, I'm going to put it on the flat side, which is facing down. And if I tip it over, the C is revealed, but so is the flat side of the prop. Right? Anyone looking through a telescope that can see the flag on the moon will look like uh, Kennedy at Dallas. Yes. Exactly. It's just plain. If you have a map of the United States this big, let's say, and I draw a line from Los Angeles to New York, because of the commercial airline flight. We do agree that those happen, right? You are capable of flying from New York to Los Angeles. That's not that's not part of a cover-up or a conspiracy where that actually happens. Okay. I just want to check because the standards for this are actually fairly low. Um, if I fly from on a map and I draw you a line between New York and Los Angeles, how high is the airplane above the map, do you think? Half an inch? Quarter inch? A couple millimeters? What's well, inside the paper, right? It's seven miles high, 2,000 miles wide. It's inside the paper. That's how low it is relative to the map. This is what large objects do when you start realizing how big things are, like the Earth or the Moon, for example. That's why you can't see the flags of the lunar rover on the Moon, because they're very, very small compared to a very big moon. And even if it wasn't a big moon, even if it was a small moon, it's still too small to see without the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter dropping from 30 miles to 15 miles in order to get enough of those legs to prove that the whole thing actually happened. Anyway, that was just a rehearsal. And um, and that's... Uh, I just kind of had to get that out of my system. What time is it? Yeah, I'll do a little bit more here. I think we can um, finish the questions. First time chat from uh, Giancarlo36. Bill, how many years do you think Trump will get? Um, well, I'm hoping for four. Uh, Giancarlo, I know where you're going with that question, but I'm, I'm thinking four would be a nice number, and I don't think that he's going to be in prison. I think, uh, yeah, Fiery Waco says four years of light duty. Exactly. 
Okay. You want to lock him up? Lock him up. You miserable low-life fascist bastards. That's okay. All right. Let's see what we got here. Okay, Eric's second question has got a lot to do with the first question. I think I covered most of that. Um, from Roadrider. Uh, Bill, read this in the first person as yourself. Okay, I can do the first person because I am the first person. Mike Rowe and Dr. Thomas Sowell are sitting together in the first class lounge at LAX, just chatting while waiting for their flights. I walk in and Rowe spots me and waves me over to join the conversation. After I check my depends to make sure that I've not wet my pants from the shock of the invite. Actually, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I'd be wondering what took them so long. I come over and sit down. The question, what in the world would I want to ask Dr. Soul? What would I ask Mike Rowe? These are two cultural icons I'm sitting with, a powerhouse from the past in Soul and a powerhouse from the present in Rowe. I have to make them serious questions. Don't be glib. Maybe my only chance to ask them directly. Uh, yeah, I know Bill walking into a first-class lounge at LAX at the rate we citizen producers are paying him. Total hypothetical, but let's not let's go along with the premise anyway. Bless you, bless you, bless you. You're a fine fellow road rider. Okay, so what questions would I ask Mike Rowe, and what question would I – one question would I ask Mike Rowe, and what qu one question would I ask Thomas Sowell? Now let me start with Thomas Sowell. That's an excellent question, and it's not something I can just give you a fast answer for. Um, I think the question I would ask Dr. Soul is, um, Dr. Soul, I, I read a lot of stuff, and, and I continue to read a lot of stuff, and near as I could tell, if you're not the smartest guy on the earth, you're one of the three. So my question to you is, how do you get to be one of the three smartest guys in the world? Is that an intellectual barrier, or is it a moral barrier, or hurdle, I suppose I should say? What is it that allows somebody to achieve the level of expertise that you've achieved in your life because a lot of people will say that people are being held down because of systemic racism and all the rest i want to know how you got there and i want you to tell me from the inside what was hard and what wasn't hard that's not exactly elegant but that's that uh mike rowe I probably asked Mike Rowe, hey, Mike, you want to be in a, you want to be in a movie? Um, but you said not to be flipped, so let me think. I would ask Mike something similar. I would say, um, so Mike, you're an internationally uh, recognized uh, film and television star. And you're very, very good at it. And yet somehow, you do not seem to have the contempt for working people 
that many people who are in your position also have. Why is that? Why don't you have such contempt for regular people that most people with your level of fame achieved through show business certainly have? And we both know people who are like this. We know we count the exceptions on one hand. Gary Sinise, John Voigt, there's two. Um, so what was it about you that inoculated you from looking down on regular people once you got to be a non-regular person? That's what I'd ask Mike Rowe, I think. What I asked Kamala Harris, Tom Bombadil wants to know. Uh, and by the way, Tom, I was just heartbroken when they cut you out of that first movie. I just thought that was a raw deal. What I asked Kamala Harris. Huh. I would ask Kamala Harris, I would say, uh, uh, Madam Vice President, uh, as has been tradition for 50 years now, the Vice President's usually in charge of the space program. You've shown enormous amounts of in in interest and enthusiasm for space. And we certainly saw you talking to those kids, telling them to be able to see craters on the moon with their own eyes. So just because you are essentially in charge of the space program for the United States of America, could you just tell me what the largest planet is, the smallest planet is, the hottest planet, and the coldest planet in our solar system, please? Just that. Simple. Don't have to get anywhere outside the neighborhood. Just the largest, the smallest, the, the coldest, and the hottest. That's what I'd like to know, please. Because if you if you know anything about space, I mean anything about space and astronomy and all that stuff, that's not a difficult question at all. That's that's a that's a softball of softballs. That's what I'd ask her. Um, and uh, if she was able to answer, I have to tell you, I'd be impressed. I would be. I would be impressed. Um, but I don't think she could do it. Uh, Tim Morris, who's, who's really punching above his weight here today, Tim Morris, in quotes, says that she would say, the thing about space is that it's big and full of planets in space. And the planets that make up space are both large and small and hot and cold. There are hot ones and cold ones and Big ones and small ones, and all of those planets together provide the diversity that makes our solar system such a beautiful place. It's that combination of big and small and hot and cold that, that makes the solar system so special. And that's why we want to explore the planets which are in space, because space is where you have to go to get to the planets, and in order to see the planets you have to be able to get into space because they're in space and, 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 and planets. You have to go through space to get to, to a planet. Micro likes dirty jobs. <laughs> go into politics. You know, it's an actually, that's a freaking great question. If I expect I'll be back on his show at some point in the future. That's a great question. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal it. I'm just going to steal it. I'm going to say, Mike, I got a quick question for you. Yeah, you did, you did, you know, everybody knows you from Dirty Jobs. It was just remarkable. 
result, you know, remarkable respect for working people, invisible people. And, and I loved it, and I loved the, re, the reboot, and everybody else does too. So my question for you is, since you're still doing dr- dirty jobs, and you've done things like, you know, ex- taking dead rats from out underneath buildings and cleaned out outhouses and all the rest of it, why aren't you in politics? Why haven't you decided to run for office if your whole shtick is dirty jobs? There's the dirtiest job of all. Are you afraid? What's the matter, Mike? Can't you handle it? Can't you handle the stink? Is it the smell? The smell of it? I don't blame you. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy to do these kind of dirty jobs anyway. Is it just, or is it just the same kind of thing? Like if you have to move like a dead possum off the road or from somebody, you just don't want to touch it. You know, it's just, it's like, you know, you have to, but you just really don't want to. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, I just, I mean, I'll get into, I'll, I'll get into, I'll, I'll run for office if I can do it in a full bio suit, you know, a positive pressure bio suit. Then I would, then I would, I'd think it over. Um, oh, so the stream is frozen for, uh, hey, great. I didn't do it. And I don't know how to fix it without restarting the stream. And now in capital letters, and I am not going to do that. Okay, got a 1202 on uh, a 1202 on uh, on Twitch looks like it's intermittent back and forth. I want an answer on that 1202. Somebody get an answer on that 1202. Um, it's intermittent. Okay, Buzz, your job. Look out the window. And it's it's an interesting little side load on the Apollo thing, by the way. You know, if you want to listen to the flight computers landing the capsule, uh, landing the LEM, you can actually hear the the flight computers talking. Stream has disconnected. Oh. Okay. Well, it looks like um, now, now YouTube is down. So, this is for you that are watching the recording. I'll be <laughs> Brian Regan routine. So obviously, I have exceeded my truth tr- Come on, you can do it. My truth quotient Q U O T I N T for the night. So I am going to uh, take the hint. He's back. He's not back. He's back. He's not back. He's not back on YouTube. Uh, oh, it is back on YouTube. End stream. I'm done. Uh, you know, it's like if, if the streams are just failing everywhere, I just, I just don't want to do it. 
Um, yeah, I'll just pick it up on the Why Are There No Stars on the Moon. That's a great idea. Copy Shinado. Thanks. That's what we'll do. Uh, let me see how many questions I got. I said I would do them. So stream is back, not back. Uh, what do we got here? Chris Taylor. Uh, Bob Knife. Jacob Belchak. And Bart Hennon. Sorry, Bart. And Bart says, fourth time posting this question, so I'm going to start with this one in case we lose the stream again. Whatever. Why did I just throw my glasses off? I can't see anything anymore. Fourth time posting this question, fourth time's a charm. It is, Bart, and thank you for your patience, and I'm sorry to constantly keep doing that. How do we stop or fix the idiocracy? I was in a restaurant having lunch and couldn't help but overhear two women at the next table talking of the big rocket that Musk set up. It blew up, one woman said. The other replied, well, I guess that proves that billionaires have no business building rockets. Yeah, I think, Bart, I'm going to experience a moment of, of silent pain the way you probably did when you heard that. I kept quiet, but around the third time around of them saying what a waste of money that was, I finally politely interjected, you do realize that without Musk, we'd have no way to get humans to and from the ISS, right? Blank stares. You do realize that he's had other successful rockets, right? You do realize that this was a test flight and a first flight, right? He'll get it right on future flights, and it's his money. Shouldn't he be free to spend it on what he wants? You realize that when NASA builds rockets, they use your money, right? Finally, some light started filtering into their brains. Oh, yeah, that's right, one woman replied. Yeah, I should be able to spend his own money the way he wants, said the other. Geesh, and these people get to vote? So I ask again, how do we stop or fix the idiocracy? Well, uh, one way to do it is to do exactly what you did. Uh, it, it seems unlikely, the, the second half of that story, but I am certainly not going to call your integrity into question. And the way you stop the idiocracy, first of all, is by pointing out to the idiots just how idiotic what they're saying is. Just tired of just, you know, just sitting here and letting this stuff sail by. That's why I'm so jazzed about doing the moon landing thing. And I'm going to start out being funny and lighthearted, but it's going to make me angry. And then I'm going to get angry. The producer said, good, we want you angry. It's like, yeah, you'll get it. Don't worry. You know, don't worry. I'm not going to let these people go to bed thinking that they're smarter than everybody else. I'm going to crush and humiliate them because, um, because that's how you put an end to it. I'm going to crush and humiliate them. Um, so I actually was going to, uh, back out of the show, but both streams are running again. And I said, I'd get to all the questions. So there's that in terms of the larger issue of, uh, of, of the, uh, idiocracy part, um, you know, you just have to, I think it was at the, like kind of the oil drop thing where you just put a drop of oil in, on surface, like a puddle and it just spreads out people who aren't idiots have a moral obligation to find other potential non-idiots. Don't go for the idiots. Find the potential non-idiots and work on them. And, and then you need to multiply your, um, your presence by several orders of magnitude. Several orders of magnitude. If it's just you, don't waste time trying to convince one person. If it's just you, find one person who can be convinced, convince that person, and that person can convince more people, and then you can go find a second person to convince, and so on. Um, it's just like we were talking about with the restoration thing. It's just one rivet at a time, you know, how many left to go? We're not even going to ask that question of how much is left to go, because if we ask how much is left to go, 
we're going to lose the entire purpose of why we're doing it. We're not doing it to build Gracia Girl. We're doing it because we love airplanes. We're doing it because we love working with our hands. That's why we're restoring this project. We're doing it because we love the process. And as soon as Glacier Girl is restored, we're going to go find another old airplane. We'll restore that too. That's what we do. Um, so I would just make it a, um, I just keep doing what you did there. And, uh, and don't see these people, the moon landing, for example, people think that people think that other people think they're smart because they don't believe in the moon landing. Think, well, you got to be really smart because all the stupid people believe that it actually happened. I'm not going to allow that uh, trend to continue in my presence anyway. Um, I'm going to uh, – I'm not going to do it with a bludgeon. I'd like to do it with a scalpel if I can maintain that level of control. But I'm going to essentially um, disembowel their uh, line of thinking. And, I, and I'm going to do it in such a way that makes people think that you're an idiot if you think the moon landing didn't happen. That's my goal, actually. That's my goal. My goal is to make anybody who thinks that the moon landing was fake feel like an idiot. That's what I would like to do. Chris Taylor, uh, my question from last week dealt with the sometimes considerable difference between official school book, movie adaptations, and mass market history versions of events, and the let me tell you what really happened version passed down through families, local communities, and other social groups. It occurs to me that one of the reasons our political elite may be so eager to import a new population, both from illegals and also H-1B holders, is that those new Americans will only know the mass market school book version of what our history is. That's a very interesting point. All the inconvenient villains can get whitewashed and the same old tricks can be used again on an unsuspecting population. Yes, they're trying to cut the cord, the, they're trying to cut the mystic cords of memory. They're trying to bring people in who, who, who didn't grow up with the, with the mythology of the country. And I mean mythology in the true sense of the word, not, not as a, as a bad misnomer for something that's not true. Mythology is super true. Um, Yes, they're trying to disconnect us from people who lived the American experience, grew up in, in an atmosphere of patriotism and pride, and disassociate them so that they don't have relatives who can sit them down and say, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. I think I agree with that completely. Moving on. For example, anyone who thinks that using health regulations is an excuse to force the destruction of massive amounts of crops and livestock in order to get rid of politically inconvenient farmers and ranchers is some horrible new low for our country, well... They probably didn't come from a farming factory that spoke out against FDR's New Deal power grabs. That abuse is straight out of the FDR political machine's playbook. While such heritage Americans, that's a great term, may still consider Roosevelt's first name to be that bastard and be on hair-trigger alert at the repeat of such abuse, their new American neighbors will only know that FDR was the president who won World War II and ended the Great Depression and was a friend to the poor." It was so inspiring when he stood up in the movie in Pearl Harbor. People who don't like him must just be upset to see the poor and minorities have a friend in D.C. and are just paranoid conspiracy kooks to not trust our health professionals. They might know all of the family stories passed down about the secret historical crimes back in El Salvador or India, but have no idea how much of the history their kids are reading in school or picking up from the pop culture in America are, quote, babies are bought by the stork lies. So my question is, do you have any let-me-tell-you-what-really-happened stories, perhaps from aviation or Bermuda or hotels in Hollywood, that contradict official historical narratives? Um, aside from the one that I just spent the last two hours on, uh, 
Yeah, that's an actually really interesting question, as as virtually as your questions are. Um, do I have personal experience with something? And I got to stay away from the moon landing, UFOs, and all the rest of it. Um, I'm trying to think of an example from Bermuda. Um, Nothing comes to mind, Chris. That's the honest answer. Uh, nothing I haven't talked about before, anyway. So, although if that were a, a limiting criteria, there'd be no show, obviously. So, um, but nevertheless, there's a great point about bringing in new Americans who don't connect to old America as a way to cut those mystic cords of memory. Third time hopeful. My gosh, I've disappointed so many people. Hold on, I missed one. Uh, fourth time, Bob Knife. I'm going to knock these down, by God. That's what I'm going to do tonight. A few weeks ago, you gave an eloquent statement about the general welfare, and I agree with you. However, Article 1, Section 8, not the preamble, unfortunately states to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Now, I agree that the term provide for the general welfare has been bastardized by Democrats and to provide for it a different meaning to the founding fathers, but nonetheless, it does state provide for. I'd love to hear how you would argue what the founders really meant by that. Excellent, excellent question. And here's where I'm going with this. You're right. It's not just in the preamble. And what it says is to provide for the common defense and the general welfare of the United States. So, uh, Bob, I'm not going to go at provide. That's not the word I'm going to go with. I'm not going to attack the word provide. I'm not going to attack the word welfare. I'm going to use the I'm going to attack the term general welfare. The general welfare applies to everybody. That's what the definition of the general welfare is. The general welfare is something that is good for all Americans. If you take money from some Americans and give it to others, that's not promoting the general welfare. That's promoting the specific welfare. It's, it's promoting the opposite of the general welfare. Something that benefited all Americans would be providing for the general welfare. Something that causes Americans to have money taken from them and given to other Americans can in no way, shape, or form be considered part of the general welfare. It's the opposite of the general welfare. It's it's about as non-general as you can possibly get. It is a politically targeted way for Congress to provide for the specific welfare of a certain class of people at the expense of other specific classes of people. So that's why that argument doesn't allow you to have social welfare programs. Because social welfare programs are not are not the general welfare. They're, in fact, most of the general well, most of the general population in the United States is harmed by this, at the at the expense of um, of a smaller group of people who are helped by it. So that's why they said every word they said is 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 miraculously uh, well thought out. So. That's why they said keep and bear arms instead of keep and bear muskets. That's why I said freedom of the press instead of freedom of newspapers. That's why they said uh, the general welfare instead of just welfare or to help people out. 
Um, so that's hopefully going to solve that one. Uh, let's see. Third time, hopefully, I've, I've broken so many hearts out there. Hail Bill, hail Jacob Belcheck. One of the primary weapons of the left is to shame and emotionally abuse we people of sanity, if not until we agree with them, at least until we retreat and cede ground. My question is this. Can this work in the other direction? I like the way you're thinking, Jacob. I like where you're going with this. Is it possible to shame, emotionally abuse people into a position of greater virtue or only into one of lesser virtue? Is it possible? If it is possible, is this a tactic we should employ? Kind of nicely anticipates what I was just saying about making um, at least anybody within the sound of my voice who who denies the moon landing occurred. I'm, I want to make them... I want to make them pay for it. I want them to look like idiots. I want to humiliate them out of their stupidity. And so the question you asked is, does this actually work? And I think the, the answer to that is yes. In fact, the reason we're in the trouble that we're in now is because we've stopped doing it, which is which is why we're in the trouble we're in. We've stopped humiliating people for being stupid or being immoral. We just plain tolerate it and so it grows if everybody who um if everybody in the school was laughing at the at the kids who couldn't name three other countries which i saw on that many times but specifically one video in streets of new york city where a guy with a microphone went up and asked um gen zers name three countries other than the united states half of them said the united states is a country but none of them could name them. Now, obviously, there are people who could, didn't make the cut, but a significant number of them couldn't. So the reason that they don't know the name of three other countries is because it doesn't cost them to not know. They're not humiliated for not knowing. They'd be humiliated for wearing inappropriate clothing. By inappropriate clothing, I generally mean, you know, decent clothing, but you get the idea, right? If... If one of them came in a uh, big advocate of uh, vanilla ice, let's say, and not ironically, although that's way too dated, you get the idea. Teenagers, young people are biologically hardwired at that stage in life to fit in. It's a, it's a result of we don't have instincts in the same way that animals have instincts, which is a, like the uncontrollable ability to build a bird's nest. That's an instinct. But we definitely have um, strange attractors. There are definitely things that, that pull human behavior in specific directions, and those directions serve an evolutionary purpose. When you're young, especially between the ages of, let's say, three and eight or nine, maybe somewhere around there. You have so much to learn and you're capable of learning. Your brain's developed enough by the time you're three or four. Of course, mine was developed well enough by the time I was three weeks old, but that, that, that's, a, that's a fluke. Um, so when children are at that age, there is so much that they need to learn that biologically, built into the structure of their brains as they continue to grow, is the absolute acceptance of anything that they're told. At that age, you can tell a kid anything and they will believe it because they're wired to believe everything at that point. They don't have the brain power to challenge anything and frankly, it's not a good idea. There's just so much information for, for young humans to take in that they need to be sponges. Just 
just chuck stuff at them. Just keep chucking it at them. And then just soak it up, right? I'm not going to go into any spoiler alerts because I don't know who's watching the show. And 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 this is a, a great, 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 great. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm going to skip that great, great, great thing. Um, but when I was four, I remember going into the living room, lifting up the couch, the, 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 the cushions on the couch, getting under the cushions, putting cushions back on top of me, and hiding from my mom and dad, and they couldn't see me. And the reason I know they couldn't see me is because they came into the room and they said, Edith, have you seen Bill? No, Billy, I don't know. I haven't seen Billy for, for hours. And I'm sitting there giggling, but not so loud that they could hear me because they didn't want to give it away. He, no, I haven't seen him. I wonder where he is. I don't know. And then one of my parents, I honestly don't remember which one, had the genius idea of coming over and sitting gently on the couch on top of me to indicate just how perfect my hiding space really was, you see. And I didn't doubt that for a second. I didn't doubt it for a second. I was 100% convinced that they didn't know I was there because that's the age where you tend to believe everything. Okay, so when you're a little kid, your parents are gods. Everything they know is correct. Now, comes a point when biology wants you to not live with your parents. For the species to be successful, comes a point when you need to launch. Failure to launch, that's the... A plague for our days. But basically, there comes a point when it is no longer useful for you to think of your parents as omnipotent gods emotionally. Now, what's required of you biologically is to go from thinking your parents know everything to thinking that your parents know nothing. That's a biological period in the human brain's growth. You go from believing everything your parents or any authority says to believing nothing that any authority image says. Um, and that's why that's why all of a sudden teenagers think they know more than their parents and, and, and dad's a fascist and a racist and I didn't know all these things and, and my teacher told me something that I didn't know before and so all, my entire worldview has changed. Now I'm a communist. Okay, you know, that's what you're wired to do and and Concurrent with that is the concurrent with the biological imperative to get out of the house and away from the security of the parents. Psychology demands that you find some substitute for the security of your parents and the security of your house. And that substitute is the security of the peer group. So teenagers, virtually all teenagers, are desperate to conform desperate. The one thing they don't want is to stand out. If everybody's getting tattoos, they want tattoos. If nobody's getting tattoos, they don't want tattoos. If everybody's getting a piercing, they want a piercing. They do not want to look different. They want to look like part of the group because they're on their own now. They're not part of their family anymore, they think. And so they need to belong to the larger tribe. All of this to say that the tribe that they are so desperate to belong to does not punish them for not knowing the names of three other countries. If everybody in the tribe knew the name of a hundred countries and very easily could just rattle off seven continents and seven oceans, then the people that couldn't name three countries would be outcasts and they wouldn't like that. So they'd do something about it. So they'd learn the name of countries. That's how it would work. And so the answer to your question is, of course, yes, you have to make people ashamed to be stupid because otherwise they'll just keep doing it. 
young people are not ashamed to be uneducated. They're told they're smart, good enough for them, um, and that's all the thought they give it. But they're not ashamed of not knowing. They would be ashamed of knowing, actually, on, on reflection. If they did know the name of 100 countries or all 216 or whatever there are, they'd be ashamed of that. They wouldn't want that known because if they did know the name of, of all the countries in the world, then that would set them apart from their peers and their peers would make fun of them for that. So, yes, that's the shame is the, and humiliation is unpleasant. It doesn't feel good to be ashamed. It doesn't feel good to feel humiliated. It doesn't feel good to be embarrassed. It's a visceral physical sensation it's like any other form of um of uh what's the word conditioning right puppy craps on the rug puppy gets a smack on the back and gets its nose rubbed in it so it knows what the smack on the back is for and you give somebody a, a food pellet when they do something right you give them electric shock when they do something wrong and that's how people behavior will change so we're not giving them food pellets for knowing three other countries more than three other countries, and we're not shocking them for not knowing. And and as long as that continues, they'll continue to get dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. And there comes a point, by the way, when you when you and it's not it's not like when you're thirty or forty or even, I think probably by the time you're twenty, you're pretty much done. If you don't, Steve Hoop says. So what you're saying is we have to slap the stupid out of the dims, right? LOL. Yes, we have to slap the stupid out of them. Exactly. We have, to, we have to slap the stupid out of them. We just have to mock them, make them embarrassed and uncomfortable for being so ignorant about things. Because the point is, that the part that's really scary is there's a difference between being ignorant and being stupid. I don't think this generation is not born stupid. They're made out of the same stuff we are. They have the same physical cognitive abilities at birth, but they're not challenged. And since they're not educated, there comes a point where their actual intellectual horsepower is stunted because it's not being challenged. So while they don't start out stupid, they just start out uneducated. But if they continue to be uneducated and unstimulated intellectually, then they will actually freeze at whatever level they're at, and then they will become permanently stupid. And uh, as Ron White says, you can't fix stupid. Um, and... And then you're stuck. Um, the thing about about Zoomers, especially, is not so much. The thing that amazes me about them is not so much that they don't know things. The thing that scares me about them, terrifies me about them, is not that they don't know things. It's that they're not curious about things. That's what really freaks me out about them. That's what makes me angry. It's not that they don't know something. That's understandable. And and that's not on them. That's on us. But they, they don't care. They're not curious about anything. That's really, 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 really alarming and, and very, very uh, important that we get on top of that. Infidel42 says they don't uh, arrive for excellence either. Maybe it meant strive and autocorrected. In either event, they don't strive for excellence. They they're wired to, but the but the striving for excellence has been beaten out of them by these communist teachers that we've allowed to infiltrate our systems and our children's minds. It's our fault. All of it's our fault. We let these communists teach our children, and we don't do anything about it. It's too much trouble. We don't, don't, don't homeschool the kid. Um, 
Eric Blake says, Zoomers often make us millennials feel smart and not in a good way. At least we're curious. Yeah, lack of curiosity is really alarming. And I'm just going to go there because it just entered my head. Adolescence, in terms of, with respect to, and this may have something to do with the, I never really put these two things together before. This may have something to do with the explosion of this transgender movement. But adolescence, I'm just speaking for boys, is a time when you become acutely interested in in women and girls, but you are not allowed to know things yet. So you have to speculate, and you'll find one guy who maybe has a little bit of experience, and he's going to go out to the treehouse or something, he's going to tell you a couple things that are going to blow your mind and so on. But that period of 13 to 18 or whatever is when you're supposed to be kind of unveiling the mysteries of the opposite sex. That's why you're bashful and shy at that age too. You know, you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to stand out. You want to just want to sail along. And so adolescence is like kind of, you know, first girls are stupid. Then it's like kind of interested. And I kind of want to drive my bike past this girl's house nine times in an hour. And then, um, and then, you know, this, this, like this intense curiosity, I'm deeply concerned. And I have no idea what the effect of, Instant access to hardcore pornography does to children's minds in terms of how they view, in terms of in terms of short circuiting that essential part of their biological development, which is the period where they go from hating the opposite sex to suddenly being very interested in the opposite sex, but they don't get to immediately just dive in and watch two hundred hours of uh, of you know professionals doing things that they should be discovering little bits at a time over. A long time, and and it's just plain. It's making them. It's making both men and women incompatible with each other. They're incompatible with each other. The women have been told by the older women, who are always jealous of men's ability to be promiscuous, biologically pr- promiscuous. I mean, they've been told, "No, sleep around. Be, be, have, if, if a guy can sleep with twenty girls." Before he's married, you should be able to sleep with 20 guys or 50 or 100. And they told him that, and, and the young woman believed him. But what they didn't realize was men and women don't value things the same. Women control access to sex. Men control access to resources. And that's why these young women who are got a body count of 50 at age you know, 21 – slept with 50 different people, they're amazed, they're mystified. Why don't any guys want to date me steadily? I sleep with all these guys I want to, but why can't I find one who sticks around? Why, why can't the one that I'm actually interested in stick around? Why doesn't want to stick around? Because you slept with 60 guys, girl, that's why. You know, what, what, do, you, what do I mean to you? I'm 61, I'm number 61 in a line that extends to a couple thousand. What the hell am I interested in that for? No, no. You get to you get to control who has the sex. I get to control who has the resources, who has the um, the marriage. That's how it works, and that's how it's um, wired to work. And and when I see a society where men are doing immoral things, that society's in trouble. But when I see a society where women are doing immoral things, wallowing in immoral things, 
celebrating immoral things, then you're in deep trouble. When the women are the ones who are who are exceeding the bounds of, of decency and morality, you're in deep trouble because that's not how it's supposed to go. Um, and people wonder why um, uh, young people wonder why the, how, how is it that their grandparents or whatever stayed married for 60 years, 70, 80 years sometimes. Why? Well, in many cases, they were the only person they ever slept with in their lives. It, most of the women, that was true. But even then, it's one or two, right? And, and, and they bonded. And the reason you're not bonding is because whatever bonds you're making, you're tearing those bonds apart every single night. Every time you swipe right, you, right, you, are, you are ripping the bonds of whoever you were with last night in order to have a shot at whoever you're going to get to sleep with tonight. And you wonder why you can't form long-term relationships. Hey, we're good. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a total mystery, right? So um, we, don't slam, we don't shame girls for being sluts anymore. In fact, the culture encourages them, actively cheers them on to be as slutty as possible. I almost said promiscuous, but slut's a better word because slut's got a nasty ring to it. And if a girl was a slut when I was a kid and throughout human history, if you were a slut, that was not good. That was something to be ashamed of. But now... Now it's a, it's a goal, and they, they wear it like they're proud of it, and I guess on some level they are proud of it, but when they get to be around 35, and it's happening much earlier than that by now, by the way, 20-year-old girls with, a, with, with 50 previous sex partners are wondering why guys only want to come over on Tuesday night at 2 in the morning, stay for an hour, and then go home. They can't figure it out. I, I really like this guy. I want to hang with him. Well, he doesn't want to hang with you. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, it, actually it is. Actually it is fair. Um, you, wanted, you wanted what men have. Now you've got what men had. But you're not men. So you gave up what you had a birthright to in order to get this thing that you thought you wanted. Now you've got it. You lost the birthright. And now you're, cry you're crying about it. Uh, I don't blame you for crying about it. You just need to talk to the people who told you that you should be as slutty as possible and have as many guys as you want to because that's not how we're wired. And it's not just how we're wired. That's how animals, mammals certainly, without doubt, mammals, and obviously primates are wired differently because in order, when conception happens, one side has to stay with the baby. I mean, carry the baby. The other side can just go off into the weeds and often do. And if you're going to find a society that's happy and healthy, you've got to find a way to avoid that. And when women are as promiscuous as they are, then men don't want to commit to women that are that promiscuous because we're wired to spend our resources on our own progeny. Look, the reason, the reason men and women can't have the same number of sexual partners is very simple. Right? It's actually extraordinarily simple. The reason that men and women have different standards about this is because if a child is born, there is no question about who the mother is, but there's any question, any number of questions, infinite number of possibilities about who the father is. That's the difference between the sexes. It's that simple. It's just that simple. If there was a way to know with certainty that the father was the father of that child, 
then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have this discussion. But we don't. So, if you want a man to spend, if you want from an evolutionary biological point of view, if you want a man to work his his life away and provide resources, he wants to do that for his own line, his own genetic descendants. And if he can't be sure that those are his, that he's not willing to do this on a subconscious level, on a, on, a, on a conscious level, on a practical level, moral level, all of it. If you have, if you have established yourself as a, as a young woman, as somebody who is not reliable, someone who is not uh, honest, or not even honest, somebody who is not disciplined enough, then males will approach this and say, yeah, it's fun for, fun for a weekend, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask this person to marry me. Are you kidding? She's had a hundred guys. I'm number 101. The second I get married, she's going to be on number 102. She'll probably be on 130 by the time we're done with the Hollywood uh, the, with the honeymoon. And then she's going to go to some new guy, and I'm going to be stuck with the responsibility of paying for half of her life and paying for the kids. No, it's, it's a crummy deal. It's not worth it. Goodbye. And a bunch of people out there with channels have really got this down. You know, They're saying... Oh, I want to. I forget the name of the channel. This guy's really good. He's very, very, very low key and very emotionally calm. Slipped my mind now. But he has these panels of these 19, 20, 21 year old women. And they'll say, I want a traditional man who's going to take care of me and stuff. And he says, Well, why would a traditional man want you? Are you a traditional woman? I can cook. No, no, that's not what I'm asking you. Are, Are you a virgin? No, I'm not a virgin. Of course I'm not a virgin. Well, you want a traditional man who's going to be a provider because that's getting into fashion again now. Used to be women had to go on their own, make their own money. Now they just want to. They just don't want to work. They just want to marry. Got to do it for them again. So problem is they they no longer have the. They're no longer holding the uh, the, the the cards that they used to have. So you want a traditional man who's going to work and 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 pay for the house and pay for you and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's what I want. And he's got to be six foot tall. He's got to, he's got to have the three sixes, right? Uh, and um, and you want that. So what are you offering in return? You're offering. You got nothing in return. Nothing. Um, Copy Shinado says true traditional men aren't sluts either. That's correct. The, the consequences for promiscuous sex throughout history, because of the biology, because of what I just explained, consequences have always been much more severe than women. That's why women are stoned to death in some countries for being adulterous. Or if they're raped by males, they're still being stoned to death. That's a result of the biology. I'm not justifying it. On the contrary, civilization is the ability to overcome your... Um, your base emotions and things like that, but it's there can be a there can be throughout history a point where men can be too promiscuous in a healthy society where other men will say, "Dude, this is this isn't this isn't good," you know. So in your wild oats is is one thing, but this isn't this isn't right or normal because healthy men. Healthy men, it's not the numbers that, that they, they're more promiscuous than women. There's no question about that. But psychologically healthy men, it's not about the number so much as the um, 
you call it the conquest if you want to, the the the, the chase, all whatever. But ultimately, as again, as the biology continues and you you get out of those hormone uh, flooded years, um, then you start looking for other things as well. You want somebody, you know, who turns you on, but you also want somebody you can talk to because you're going to be living with them for a long time. Uh, Eric says, if you want to maintain civilization, men should be held accountable for promiscuity too. No wildcats, period. Well, I have to disagree with you on that one, Eric. The greatest generation did not go to the Pacific and sit there and read their Bibles while um, they were in port. And those were the most uh, society... So the most socially useful men I've ever seen in history, the American men in, the, in, in, in World War II, that cohort is the most remarkable cohort in history. They, they deserve the greatest generation because that's what they are. We're all degenerates compared to them. But they did not, Kapi Chanel says, but they were all issued a Bible. That's true. But it's not, and how many of those women overseas ended up single moms? Yes, that's unfair to the uh, native women, let's just say, but there are no consequences for the male in that. If the guy had gotten somebody pregnant out of wedlock or prior to wedlock in a small town, then he would not be able to walk away without consequences. He would have a shotgun wedding, and that's the way it goes. Um, so to say that men... That men need to have the same levels of, of uh, or, or 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 maintain the same standards of promiscuity that women do. It's just not prove. It's just it's just not true. Men can get away with a lot more than women can, but there are limits to what they can get away with. And in a society that has a closed society, when I say closed, I mean where there are consequences. Look, the reason between city, the reason cities are so horrible, the reason people vote Democrat is because in a city you have anonymity. You can mug somebody and disappear in the subway, and the chance of you seeing that person again is about zero or nearly zero. It's certainly nearly zero if they happen to have a policeman standing right there, right? Um, so in a small town, on the other hand, if you, uh, if you decide to do something that's really kind of uh, dick kind of behavior, you will face consequences. You may not face it from your mayor POs, but you will certainly face it from the fathers of those girls that you've taken advantage of, and they will not be happy about it. And when you grow up and have daughters, you'll be exactly the same way and the system becomes stable, right? So the fathers enforce the limits on male promiscuity. Males enforce it, but not cohort males, older males, and not their fathers. Their fathers are saying, go get them, son. That's what the father wants biologically. This is my descendant, and I want my descendant to have as many descendants as possible. That's what I'm wired for. But the father of the daughters, those guys are saying, no, 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 no. We've got a female child here. We've got a girl here. And I don't want her bouncing around all over the place. I want her stable and taken care of. So if I find a guy has taken advantage of my daughter and um, acted inappropriately with my daughter, I will limit his, pro uh, his promiscuity by threatening to kill him. And... That actually uh, does the job pretty well, but that doesn't exist anymore either. Yeah, what, aka Woody Fool says of, uh, that they would say a man who doesn't know why he f's doesn't know why he fights. Yeah, exactly. It's all all kind of the same thing. Um, 
So that's, you know, that's about it. Eric Blake, a word of advice to the ladies. Don't go for men with six figures. Go for the men with the ambition to make six figures. Precisely correct. When death is never yeah. Okay, so the thing about that, and this is the last thing I'll say, because it's almost three hours. If you are, uh, um, the only, I'm going to use enormous generalizations here, because anybody can argue anything, and if you argue by using the exceptions, you lose. In general, in general, a single unmarried male who's financially successful, making six figures, although given inflation and stuff, let's just say a guy who's making a million dollars a year just for the sake of it, seven figures, right? An unmarried male who's making seven figures is one thing that a lot of women are interested in because it makes their life much easier. So they want to land that guy and they want to keep him. The problem is, is that there are relatively few of those guys and they have they own the market. It's a buyer's market for them. They can have pretty much any woman they want to. So you've got all of these kind of average women competing for these above average males because all these average women want that. And the above average male is saying to virtually everybody, what do you bring to the table? You're not particularly good looking. You're not particularly interested. Interesting. You're not particularly smart. You're not particularly hardworking. Hard pass. Although I have a flight to catch first thing tomorrow morning. So, you know, if you're not doing anything a little later, we can, we can probably hook up. So everything that the progressives believe in is somebody said it. Where was it? Where did I see it? Um, I saw it in a comment section somewhere else in somebody else's YouTube channel. It's absolutely perfect. They said that progressives are not interested in liberty. They're interested in being libertines. And I thought that's bang on. A libertine, it's a term you don't hear very often anymore, a libertine is a narcissist who only acts in his own self-interest. A libertine will sleep with however many women as he can to satisfy his own desires. He has no concept. He is not the slightest bit concerned about breaking hearts or, or any of that stuff. He's not concerned about what other people want. A libertine is a person who believes that society should allow him, should grant him the liberty to do whatever the hell he wants to without consequence. That's what a libertine is. Um, so that's not going to work. You can't have everybody doing everything that they want for themselves all the time. That's, that's, that just doesn't work. You know, society is like a molecule. You got to bind these atoms together to make something bigger. And if you, and if you, if everybody's out for their own interest, then there's nothing to tie people together and if you don't tie people together, you not only don't get husband and wife and families, you don't get corporations, you don't get military, you don't get anything. You just get a bunch of, you know, earthbound naked apes walking around searching for their own, uh, you know, food supply. doesn't work that way. So, anyway, seems pretty obvious to me. Although, I'm sure if I was 20 years old now, I think the whole thing was nonsense because it was accepted wisdom and... Obviously, at 20, when I'm trying to get away from the accepted wisdom that raised me, uh, I'm convinced that, well, first of all, I'm not sure it's true, what you old people believe, you boomers or, or whatever. 
And even if it is true, I don't care because we're different. This is the thing actually that makes me smile. It is it is the it is the story of human existence on this earth that every single generation that reaches 20 years old is convinced that they are uniquely different than any of them that came before and that they will be the ones to bring all these changes that they can see through their young idealism every single 20 year old believes that they are going to be able to change the world and undo all the damage that these stupid old people who don't understand anything caused and they believe it and that's because life has not had a chance to beat the stupid out of them yet it takes a while and it's a it's a heartbreaking situation you know conforming to reality it's not pleasant it's not fun at all people make you promises and you believe them and then they break those promises and you just what did you deserve that there's no deserving involved it's, you're not your your feelings about this are just completely not even relevant i don't care if you're offended hurt cried i don't care if you don't care got nothing to do with you i don't care it's not got anything to do with it so learning about reality is tough it, it hurts and you don't always get the girl or the job or 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 in fact you usually don't and um and i got lucky on that one although i made my own luck in that case it only took me 50 years um the uh The process of, of, of growing up is a series of disappointments. And and I'll, I, actually, I can tell you an example, a really good example. When I was a freshman at college, I was living on campuses in Simpson Hall at the University of Florida. And I met some other guys who were writers. And they wanted to start a newspaper, a little newspaper kind of thing. Comedy newspaper. And I want to say we wanted to call it either the gorilla or the ape. I don't remember. But we started talking about the kind of things that we could do. We started talking about the kind of sketches we could write. We started talking about how we could influence people, make them realize certain things. We, 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 we All of it. Mostly we got together and we all for that one brief shining moment, we're all on the same page. We're all feeding off of each other's enthusiasm. We're going to go out there and change the world. We're all going to wear the same kind of sunglasses, going to have the same kind of outfits. That's how people will know it's us, although we won't advertise that. We'll let them discover it all. This is just so cool. Everything's just so cool. Everything's great. And this lasts for a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden, somebody does something that somebody else disagrees with, and three of those people go off and start their own newspaper. And what, what happened? Well, I didn't like the way you were doing it, so I went and did it on my own. Or, I didn't like the way you were doing it, so I went on and started my own newspaper. Screw you guys. And that's when you realize that things are not as easy as they seem to be. You can have all of the agreement in the world, and everybody's on the same page. When it comes time to actually implement that in reality, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Somebody wants to do something? They don't want to do it your way. They leave. What happened? What happened to the big dream? Well, welcome to the world. Welcome to reality.
Everybody wants a one-world government. Everybody that wants a one-world government wants the world government to be exactly like the government that they want. Nobody wants a one-world government from places in the world that they don't want to live in. You ask a bunch of progressives out in Oregon if you think one-world government's a real good idea. Many of them will say yes, because they think that one-world government means that everybody will be able to slack off and get welfare checks. But if that one-world government meant that everybody had to uh, become Islamic, for example, and were not allowed to drink or dance or listen to music, then all of a sudden the idea of a one-world government wouldn't seem so cool to them. It's just plain laziness and chauvinism and, and stupidity. I want a one-world government so long as it's exactly the government that I want for me here. Anything that might cause me to change or, or, or inconvenience me or cause me discomfort, I'm not in favor of that. A, a one-world government where we all have to work in the fields and, and, and raise our own crops? Are you nuts? No, I don't want to be a part of that. So you're not in favor of one-world government. You're in favor of your government, your idea of government being applied to other people. You have no interest whatsoever in other people's idea of governance being applied to you. That's because you're a libertine, and that's because you have nothing in this world bigger than you, and, and, and so that's a pretty small prize to end up with, you know. If all you ever got out of the world was yourself, if all you ever got out of life was what you bring to life, you are badly shortchanging yourself. Um, badly uh, shortchanging yourself, so... You need to make some sacrifices. You got to let other people do things their way. And if somebody else, you all start a newspaper and somebody else wants to do it differently, you need to grow up and do it their way and learn something. Um, Tim Morris, I for one pledge my allegiance to the God Emperor of Mankind. That goes without saying. And there are many, many reasons for that. But the main reason, of course, is because the Emperor protects. And where would we be without the Emperor? Well, I don't know, but I don't want to find out, because that would be heresy, and I don't want the Inquisition coming my way. I am a loyal, loyal imperial citizen, and um, I think the God Emperor is A-OK. -okay. Okay, I'm done. Uh, that's as much ersatz wisdom I can dispense for the, uh, for the hour, or for the, for the night. The... Uh, Paper mache um, observations uh, have, have have come to an end. Um, all right, so uh, that'll do it, I guess. Uh, YouTube stream I think ended quite a while ago, but we're still I think we're still talking to uh, yeah, still talking to Twitch. Uh, who said that? Uh, uptick. Uptick Mick said, old man wisdom. It is old man wisdom. I just wish I'd gotten it while I was a younger man. The problem is that when, I'm, when I finally die, the, day, the instant before I die will be the instant when I got everything figured out. That's just unfair. But that's what's going to happen for sure. That's what's going to happen. The instant. Just the instant before I close my eyes for the last time, I'm going to realize I finally have everything completely figured out. Damn it. Youth is wasted on the young. It certainly is. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how? I mean, it's 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 obviously not possible because it's 
directly going against the arrow of time and biology and all the rest of it. But if, if young people, if children started out as children the way they are, and then when they hit their teens, instead of becoming teens, if when they hit their teens, they developed the bodies of 70-year-olds, they had aches and pains, they started looking real ugly, you know, and, and everything's fallen off and their hair's fallen out and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're hunched and, and, and they can't run anymore. Right then, if that had hit them right around 18 or 20, that would slow them down and make them realize that, that, that life is not as easy as it thinks. And then if after that, after they'd learned their lesson, somewhere around 30 or so, you could start easing up on that and reverse it so that, you know, by the time you're 40 or 50, you're in a 20-year-old body and you stay in that for a while. Yeah, you say you're 60 years old and, and you get your 20-year-old body and then you got another 60 years with the knowledge that you've already accumulated man that would that'd be awesome that would be epic <sighs> but alas i'm working on it i sometimes think i shouldn't really admit this but i look at the numbers and the views and everything and i sometimes think well you know all this stuff's going out on the internet it's being saved on various hard drives and on the on, on all this stuff, and nobody knows what's going to happen to it, but sometimes I think maybe just possibly a hundred years from now or two hundred years from now, somebody's going to discover this stuff and they're going to go, it's not that this guy's terribly smart, but this guy actually paid attention. We can learn a lot about the early 21st century from this dude. And there'll be a small shrine erected at my birthplace and a larger shrine erected at wherever I kick off uh, and... Um, and they'll name uh, planets after me, I have no doubt. And uh, and I won't be there to see it, which really kind of sucks. So, the case for the patriarchy. Case for patriarchy. There's a patriarchy because patriarchy works. Matriarchies don't exist in the world. That's not by accident. Even if you say that the reason there are no matriarchy is because the patriarchies muscle the matriarchies out of the way, You've just admitted the superior fitness of a patriarchy. You'll name a colony after me. Good. I hope it's a nice place, but not too nice. Um, and I, and and if you do name a colony after me, colony after me, please let it let it be a a colder world rather than a hotter one. That's all I ask. I'd rather have it be. 30 degrees average temperature than 130 degrees average temperature. Just, just saying. All right. Well, this show is made possible by the uh, uh, relatively small group of uh, Homo sapiens who uh, who um, who somehow get a kick out of listening to this kind of stuff. Who uh, make all this stuff possible, and to whom we are very very grateful. That would be the uh, members of BillWhittle.com. And if you have been watching the show and you aren't one, then you should hang your head in shame. You should hang your head in shame, and you should start thinking seriously about reevaluating all of your life's choices. And I'm telling you this from experience. You will regret it, and sooner rather than later, I suspect and fear. So don't let, don't let reality, you know, hit your butt on the way out. That's all I have to say. Um, until then, uh, we will see you probably Monday night for um, Stratosphere Studio, uh, where it continues apace on the um, major Mace Mattingly things, uh, slowly but surely. And I need to get those things up and running because we need to boot up our numbers here a little bit. 
Okay, thanks. Uh, that'll do it, and we'll see you uh, Monday, and we'll certainly see you next Thursday right here on your very own, very own, custom-made, artisanally selected, steel-cut Stratosphere Lounge.